Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. Training camps continue in the CHL. A couple of ladies making some news in the Canadian Hockey League. CJHL exhibition season is underway. A newsworthy suspension in the Ontario Hockey League already. And another Division I team saved from extinction. All that and more this week on the Pipeline Show. Welcome to the program, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. The Pipeline Show, of course, brought to you by our title sponsor, that is Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky, with two locations, one in Spruce Grove, Alberta, the other in Leduc, Alberta. But if you're not in the local area, then well, don't panic. You can get in contact with either location through their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. You can place your order, and they will ship it to you. They're making some additions to their uh, website as we speak, and it's going to make that ordering process really, really smooth. Not that it isn't already, but it's going to be even uh, more user-friendly on the website. You can also uh, phone either location. I picked up a uh, pound last week. Actually, it might have been two pounds. Uh, there's not a whole lot left. It is absolutely delicious. And we've got a great show for you today. Lots to get to. We're going to start with the uh, question of the week, which I put up on Twitter yesterday, uh, Hopefully, hoping to get some uh, feedback from the audience. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot that came in, so hopefully there will be more that comes in today. Anyway, the question, and has to do with today's show, is uh, give me your predicted finish for the teams in the U.S. division of the Western Hockey League this year, one through five. And the reason that's important is because we've got the team-by-team the -team preview starting this week in the Western Hockey League. All five uh, teams in the U.S. division represented today. I'll tell you who uh, from each uh, organization is going to join me. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. But uh, some of the responses that have come in, John has said his predicted order of finish, Portland number one, Seattle, Tri-City, Everett, and Spokane number five, with uh, Brett saying Portland, Seattle, Everett, Tri-City, and Spokane. So a couple of things in common there that uh, Portland is the top team and Spokane is the bottom team. And in fact, they both had Seattle as the number two team. They just switched Tri-City and Everett around in the three and four spot. You can... Get involved in the conversation as well. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me on Twitter. And feel free to post your top five for the U.S. division this coming season. 
All right, lots of news and notes to get to. Let's go through them fairly quickly. Uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings forward Dylan Gunther, drafted by the Arizona Coyotes, has signed with the Coyotes. Fully expect him to be back with Edmonton this year and uh, should be one of the league's leading scorers. Could be in the mix for the World Junior Championship. And I know there'd be some people who say, well, he's definitely going to be on that team. He's one of the best players in the dub. Well, keep in mind, a guy like Adam Beckman didn't make the team last year in the season leading into last year. He was, uh, you know, the top scorer in the league, I believe. And, you know, a guy like Seth Jarvis didn't make the team. Gunther just was drafted. So he was very much in the same boat this year that Jarvis was in last year. So I don't think it's a guarantee that Gunther is on the team. Canada, of course, very, very deep when it comes to forwards, all positions, really. Uh, so I don't think it's an automatic that just because he was a top 10 pick that he's going to be on the team. Also in the WHL, uh, former Brandon Weeking, Matt Calvert, longtime NHLer, back with the team as he has uh, hung up his NHL skates while he's back with the Wheat Kings, uh, helping them out in a player development role. Camps in the WHL opening up here in the last couple of days. Same in the OHL. Camps in the in the queue have been open for uh, a week or 10 days already. Both the OHL and the queue this year, a couple of young ladies involved in both leagues. Uh, Taya Curry, who I think everybody's heard that story now, 14th round pick by the Sarnia Sting. She's in camp, 16 years old. Very exciting story. Now at 16, do you expect she's going to make the team? It, it's pretty tough for 16-year-old goalies in the CHL to uh, stick with their roster, let alone one that's uh, five foot seven. I tweeted out a few days ago that if she makes that team, the fact that she's a girl is not the biggest story for me. It's the fact that she's a 16-year-old goaltender who's five foot seven and a 14th round pick. Overcoming all three of those things to me is more significant than her being a girl. But let's see. I, I know they have uh, Benjamin Goudreau as uh, obviously the starter, and I don't know the the depth of the Sting well enough to know if uh, Curry has a realistic shot at uh, earning the backup job, but we'll see. In the queue, the I didn't know this, but the uh, Gatineau Olympique had uh, welcomed a uh, young lady to camp as well, 18-year-old Ev Gascon, and she was an invite to camp, but in a story uh, published in Le Droit, which is out of Ottawa, right across the river from Gatineau, Sylvain Saint Laurent, the uh, author of this story, I had to translate it, and so she's a goaltender in French. That's Gardien. When it translates, it calls her the babysitter, which is interesting. But according to the story in uh, Le Droit, the Olympique have added her to their protected list, which is significant because, also in this story, apparently both of their goaltenders, uh, Remy Poirier and Emeric Despatie, will have to leave to go to NHL camps. So there's a chance she gets recalled and uh, could play in actual uh, exhibition games. She is eventually going to the University of Minnesota Duluth and uh, did some checking as a, a listener asked me on uh, Twitter that if she plays in the CHL, doesn't that mean she can't play in the NCAA? Nate Ewell from College Hockey Inc. got back to us and said the CHL restrictions only apply to men's NCAA hockey, not women's. And that was my guess just because of how extremely rare it is for uh, one of the ladies to play in CHL hockey before they go to college. I wondered if that factored in for Shannon Zabados. Remember, she played for the Tri-City Americans in one game and then didn't play NCAA hockey. She played ACAC hockey and obviously some men's pro hockey, as well as uh, the Alberta Junior Hockey League. But in fact, uh, Nate confirming for us that the CHL rule for the NCAA does not pertain to uh, women. That's exciting because it seems like um, 
Ev Gascon might actually have a chance to get into some games, at least early on. Now, NHL camps are supposed to open here, what, about the 22nd, 23rd of September? And the NHL season doesn't start until the 12th. Gatineau's first game is on October 1st. Uh, I, I could see both of their goalies being back uh, in time for the start of the season, but maybe there's an exhibition game or two that she can get into. That'd be great. It's good to see opportunities like this opening up for ladies. Uh, moving on, the other big story out of the Ontario Hockey League is that the league has suspended London Knights defenseman Logan Mayu. Remember, he's the Montreal Canadiens draft pick who uh, went to Sweden last year during the uh, stoppage that the OHL couldn't play at all uh, because of COVID and got into legal trouble for, well, you can look up the reasons. You just Google Logan Mayu and you can get the story. Frank Saravalli had a uh, detailed article back uh, just after the draft. So he's allowed to apply to be reinstated in the OHL uh, in January and the league taking the stance that they want to see, you know, how he conducts himself up to that point. Good move, bad move. You let me know. Uh, Maybe you're a fan of the London Knights. How do you feel about this? How did you feel about the Knights bringing him uh, in this year? I'm sure we'll get a varied uh, take on that subject. Uh, Lastly, in the NCAA, the Alaska Anchorage Seawolves, Not playing this year. They didn't play last year either, but they are going to give it a go in uh, 2022-23. So this time next season, they hope to be back playing again. Reading the story at College Hockey News, uh, summed up like this, they didn't play at all in 2021, partially for uh, COVID-19 related issues, but also remember the program, they were really having some financial difficulties trying to keep hockey viable uh, for uh, Anchorage and for Fairbanks. So they haven't played for the last two years. Head coach Matt Curley stepped down over the summer. They've lost all of their players since then. So let alone their conference, the WCHA no longer in existence. So uh, as the article says, quote, the Seawolves will need to start from scratch without a long-term arena situation with no players, no conference, and no head coach. So basically like starting a brand new program all over again. And they're kind of not the only ones. Robert Morris uh, is not playing this year. Neither is Alabama Huntsville, both intending to play in 2022-23. And let me check. Still no news on Lindenwood. The St. Louis area school uh, was talked about uh, targeting Division One for hockey uh, for the start of the 2022 season. No news yet. That We expected to hear something about that over the summer. Uh, lastly, before we get to the uh, guest list, Exhibition season in the AJHL is a couple of games in, and uh, the Drayton Valley Thunder off to a great start. High-scoring team, Hunter Price, after two games, has seven points, four goals, three assists. He's a late 2003 birthday, so draft eligible in uh, 2022. Don't believe he has a college commitment uh, just yet. Based on two games of exhibitions uh, play, which (laughs) take that with a large grain of salt, but might be a name uh, worth watching for. Uh, this season, Hunter Price. It's been a while since the Drayton Valley Thunder were a team really to uh, talk much about, but Coach uh, and GM Eric Thurston seems to have them off to a, a good start here, at least very, very early in the uh, the exhibition schedule. Daniel Kernahan also was six points for the Thunder after two games. Regular season gets underway September 17th. All 16 teams in action that Friday. Locally, Okotoks is in Camrose. The Sherwood Park Crusaders go across Edmonton to play in Spruce Grove. And uh, Lloyd is up in Bonneville, I guess. And uh, Fort Mac is uh, traveling to Whitecourt. Those would be the nearest teams to the Edmonton area. 
But Canmore is playing in Olds. Drumheller hosting the Calgary Canucks. Drayton Valley is uh, welcoming Grand Prairie to town. And the new club, Black Falls, the Black Falls Bulldogs, will be, uh, well, they, they're going to start against the uh, perennial favorites, the Brooks Bandits, down in uh, Stinky Town. And I call Brooks that because it uh, it's got a meatpacking plant there, I believe it is, and some pig farms uh, on the outskirts of town. It's, uh, it's like going into Mordor if the wind is blowing the wrong way. Anyway, we're going to get to some AJHL stuff here after the WHL team-by-team previews. All right, that does it for the news and notes. Let's get to the guest list. Of course, all of my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. One of the new seasonals for Troubled Monk made in the shade Blackberry Fruit Beer. So I haven't had a chance to uh, try that one yet, uh, nor have I tried the This Black IPA and That White IPA. Hopefully they still have some stock of that one uh, when it's time for my next order which you can get, if you're like me, you can order online at troubledmonk.com shop. If you live between Calgary and St. Albert, Alberta, that would include the cities of Sherwood Park and Edmonton and Leduc and Airdrie and Red Deer itself. You order online at troubledmonk.com shop, slash shop, excuse me, and use promo code PIPELINE. You get that home delivery right to your door absolutely for free. Here is what's coming down the pipe today as... We get going with our team-by-team WHL uh, previews. As I mentioned, we're starting in the U.S. division. All five teams represented. We will begin with the Seattle Thunderbirds, and the broadcast voice is Tom Boyning, shaping up to be uh, an interesting season for the uh, T-Birds. One of the common themes, uh, it seemed like, for all five of these teams in the abbreviated schedule that we saw this past spring, all of them used it as a, a way to get some young players acclimated to the WHL level so that they'd be off and running at the start of this season. We'll see if that uh, comes to fruition for the T-Birds. From there, Mike Boyle of the Spokane Chiefs. He's the play-by-play voice there. He's going to set things up for everybody in Spokane. Then it's down to Portland. Nick Merrick, the voice of the Portland Winterhawks, the new-look Winterhawks. And we do talk a little bit about the, uh, the logo change there. Craig West is the broadcast voice of the Tri-City Americans in Kennewick, Washington. We have a good chat with him. And we end things with uh, not the play-by-play voice, but the general manager slash head coach of the Everett Silvertips. His name is Dennis Williams. First chance I've had to chat with him. So we get the normal season preview. But then I also wanted to talk to him about his path to getting to Everett because he's a Canadian, played college hockey, coached his way up through several different uh, ranks to get to Everett. Uh, Some great stories involved in that one, too. I think you're really going to like that conversation. So we've got a full slate of guests, all five teams represented from the WHL's U.S. division. And we kick it all off with Tom Boyning, the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, this one's great on ice. Why is that, bud? Troubled Monk, Troubled Tea. 
this surprising beverage is low in sugar, zero carbonation, and has an unmistakable real tea taste. Alberta's first and only hard iced tea. Player comparable, Jack Eichel, silky smooth and super skilled, but a little softer and enjoyed by all. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Release the Kraken! We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. We are really close to the WHL uh, training camps opening, so it is time to start the WHL uh, team-by-team previews. We're going to go from west to east, and uh, we're going to start in the U.S. division. Next week, we'll go to the B.C. division and work our way eastward. Uh, and today we uh, are speaking with Tom Boyning, the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, Tom, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while, Key. I think it has. Uh, maybe since the championship season of 2017. So it's good to be back. Yeah, it has been. It, it has probably been that long because last year I don't think, uh, well, I'm for sure in, in the spring I didn't do previews uh, for the, the little shortened season and the, the year before that. I think I had all the GMs on, so it has been a while since I spoke with you. Great to catch up once again. What's the the atmosphere around Seattle like right now for T-Birds Hockey? I know everybody's probably uh, geared up for the Kraken and stuff like that, but uh, is there some buzz growing for the WHL's return as well? Well, I think there there's you know a lot of wondering. You know, right now, uh, you know, the season's starting later than it normally would. Um, I think there's a lot of buzz around the arena in Kent because the Kraken are going to play a, a preseason game there and uh, Alexander Shue is going to make a, a return to his old ha- stopping grounds. But yeah. uh, I think there's just a lot of wondering about like protocols and, and how the season's going to get underway. There's a lot of, uh, you can say, inquiry into the season. All right. Well, let's look ahead to this coming year as uh, camps open up this weekend uh, for the T-Birds. Kelty Jerry Leone, the only player from last year's roster not eligible to return, but I know there are changes, significant changes from year to year, depending on the team. But uh, the T-Birds are going to look a little bit different this year as well. I know the bulk of the, the club is back, but who else isn't returning other than Jerry Leone? Well, uh, during the offseason, general manager Bill LaFord did make a, a couple of trades. Uh, Peyton Mount, who would have been a 19, and then uh, Cade McNelly, who would have been eligible as a 20-year-old, were both traded for draft picks to uh, the Vancouver Giants. So Seattle not getting a player back in return. Mm. And then Luke Bateman, who would have been going into his 19-year-old season, he was dealt uh, to the Regina Pats for a draft pick as well. So uh, a lot of accumulating the last few years by the general manager of draft picks and then freeing up some roster spots for uh, some younger players. Again, Seattle, I think, was with the youngest team in the Western Hockey League. Last year, at one point, they had you know what were technically 12 rookies on the roster. So those those are the three players, significant players who were back this year. Uh Seattle's gonna go again with some some younger bodies. All right. I am gonna mention the the trade of uh, the rights of Kai Uchaz. He wasn't with the team last year. We know what happened at the start of the uh, of the season with him. Uh is is this just a good thing for the T Birds moving forward, kind of closure for for everybody involved with the team? Yeah, I, I think it was the case. Uh, we knew actually after the incident was publicized, uh, the T-Birds made the decision that he would not be coming back one way or another uh, to the organization. There were there were two players. Brendan Williamson was the other. I understand that uh, Williamson has just you know left hockey and gone to school. Okay, but uh, Uchaz 
obviously it was a high pick for Seattle. It was a former first round pick, but after the incident, uh, the decision was made that he would not return. So it was just a matter of would somebody be willing to uh, make a trade for him? And Seattle did make the trade to uh, to Red Deer during the off season. He's going to be now uh, with the former Tiber head coach Steve Konowalczyk there with the Rebels. But uh, Seattle did get a, a second round pick back in the uh, the December draft coming up. All right. Well, that's a pretty good return. All right. Let's look at the the players who are coming to camp. And, and again, I don't have uh, the, the full roster available in front of me. So you're going to have to be the guide for sure. Uh, when it comes to the goaltenders, uh, is there a clear cut starter in your mind? And, and how many guys do you know uh, are there coming to camp with a reasonable chance of making the club? Well, I believe that the true cut starter is going to be Thomas Millich. Uh, was just invited to Kraken camp here about a week ago, but he was Seattle's number one guy at the start of last year. And then uh, halfway through last season, went to play for Team Canada and won a, a gold with them on their U18 team. So he comes back to camp as the prohibitive number one. Uh, and then the question is going to be who's going to back him up. Seattle actually had, you know, before last season began, they had Blake Lida and Thomas Millich penciled in as their, their goaltending tandem. Uh, and in fact, uh, Blake played a few games with Spruce Grove last November in preparing for an eventual Western Hockey League season. But at some point when that got shut down and the start of camp with Seattle for the you know shortened pandemic season, he opted to just leave the game hmm. and, and not play anymore. So Seattle had to scramble and they were able to get Jackson Berry. He had been released from Moose Jaw and, and come in and be the backup uh, to, to Millich. And then when Millich left, he took over the number one role and Seattle had to bring in a young 15-year-old who they selected in the second round of the 2020 uh, prospects draft. Scott Ratzlaff came in to back him up and actually got into a, a few games and, and won his first start. So the question is, does Seattle want to have the the 19-year-old backup to a young Thomas Millich, or do they want to go with two young goaltenders, the 18-year-old Millich and the 16-year-old Ratzlaff? I think that's the big question coming out of camp. Will they keep three for a while? That's that's maybe the biggest question mark for Seattle training camp and preseason is who's going to be the number two guy behind Thomas Millich. Tom, for me, I, I was surprised that Millich didn't get drafted. And I'm guessing he's six foot. He's not six three. And that's probably the only reason. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree that there's that, you know, kind of line of thinking now by scouts in the yeah. NHL that if you're not six, two, you're probably not on our radar. Uh, so he had a terrific year when he was here the first half of the season, you know, his numbers, as far as wins and losses, you know, in a young team aren't going to impress you at five and four, but he had a 2.74 goals against average. He had a percentage of nine, one, three He's a very sound goaltender, very calm, uh, player in, in the net. And he actually did something last year that hadn't been done by a Seattle, uh, goaltender in a, a number of years. And that was, he registered a shutout. So, uh, you know, he, he's obviously, Again, getting that chance to go to camp with the crack. And so, so that was great to see that bit of news come out for him. All right. Well, let's uh, move up to the blue line. And you mentioned a couple of guys been traded out, some of the old older uh, veteran players in Cade McNally and Luke Bateman. And uh, maybe just like the goaltending, does that open up uh, uh, opportunities for younger players uh, to come in? I know the, the T-Birds have uh, a, you know, a first-round pick and a second-round pick from the 2019 draft, young guys. Did they? Did Kevin Kurczynski and Spencer Penner play a lot last year? Uh, Kevin Kurczynski played a great deal last year as a 16-year-old. He was paired up uh, most of the season with uh, Jeremy Hansel, and I would imagine that that pairing will be together again this year. Penner actually played kind of 
a hybrid spot because Seattle, you know, suffered some injuries last year among their forward group. So he got to play a few games up as a forward spot. And because we had so many older defensemen, he didn't get to play as much on the back end. I think the reason for the trades that Seattle made in uh, letting Cade McNelly go and letting Luke Bateman go was to give Spencer Penner that ice time. And then there's a younger guy that may get a shot at the roster that they drafted if, a year ago. Uh, Sawyer, I think it's Minio or Minio. I haven't seen him in camp yet because he hasn't come to a camp yet. Right. He's out of Kamloops. I think they're really high on him. And then they drafted in the import draft. Uh, uh, he'll be an 18-year-old uh, Leon Okonkwo Prada. And they're pretty high on him because they actually looked at drafting him a couple of import drafts ago. They selected him in the second round of the most recent import draft. So they're expecting him to eat some of those minutes as well on the back end. But they've got a couple of veterans in in um, Tyrell Bauer coming back. He was the captain. He'll be the captain again as a 19-year-old. And then uh, one of the two 20-year-olds on their team, Ryan Godfrey, he'll be on that top pairing with, with Bauer, I believe, on the back end. I just had a guest on from England last week who was telling me about Leon Prada. Uh, her name was Caitlin Berry. So if T-Bird fans are hearing this, you might want to check that out uh, from last week uh, to get some info on one of your new defensemen there for uh, for T-Bird fans. Is there, uh, when you look at the, the defensive court, do you get a sense of sort of an identity uh, of this uh, this group? I know there's some size, but there's some smaller guys as well. Is there a way to sort of describe them as a group? Uh, it's a good mix, uh, but I think if you look at the younger guys coming in, they are very offensive-minded defensemen, which is, I think, something that is trending under Bill LaForge as the T-Birds general manager. He likes those offensive defensemen like Kevin Korchinski. Uh, I, I think uh, Jeremy Hansel is that way, too. And Hansel, by the way, is another guy they thought was going to get drafted. Right. But I think just 23 games in the Western Hockey League wasn't enough viewing. He has gotten an invite. He's going to go to Prospects Camp with the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think he's a guy probably going to get drafted in the next draft, but those are two very offensive defensemen. I think Spencer Penner is in that mold as well. So they have been drafting that direction in their defensemen in the last few drafts. Maybe a guy in in Hansel that goes to Tampa's camp and impresses there, and maybe they sign him uh, at camp too. Just Always a possibility. I thought with, you know, with only 20, 24 game WHL season, that there'd be a lot of guys who get invites and teams might take a chance on, uh, on signing uh uh, free agent invites like that this year more than in a normal year. We'll see. All right, up front, uh, I guess big question mark with Henrik Rubinsky, or is it? Uh, he is a. Correct me if I'm wrong. He is he signed? Actually, he's coming to Oiler Camp here in Edmonton, isn't he? No, he 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 was yeah he was drafted by Florida, I believe, in the 2019 draft. After he was drafted in the fifth round, I, I think we're a little surprised that they did not sign him. But, yeah, you know, I think they're a pretty deep team in their forward group. So they didn't sign him. So he did get the invite uh, with the Oilers. So he'll be at camp with with Edmonton. Um, and if they don't draft him, obviously he'll come back as a 20-year-old. He'll be the top-line center for Seattle. I think Seattle believes they have a really good top six for a group with the potential of having a really good top nine with all these young guys now with that play from last season under their belt, kind of taking that next step. But you've got Rabinsky, Siona, and then Connor Roulette, all NHL drafted guys who will probably occupy that top line. And then your second line is centered by another NHL drafted guy in Matt Rempe, who was drafted by the, the New York Rangers a couple years ago. He's six foot eight. That's crazy. Six, eight, 240 pounds is what the website says. I, I was wondering, was that a typo? But that's massive. Yeah. And he missed most of last season too. He, he got hurt in the eighth game. Uh, I think he, if the season had gone longer, he was almost on the doorstep of being ready to come back on the ice. So hopefully he can stay healthy, knock on wood this season, and have a really strong season. Because Seattle 
I think is really strong down the middle with Rabensky, Rempe, you got Jared Davidson, you've got a, you know Jordan Gustafson can play center. I think they feel pretty good down the middle, and one of the reasons why they could have traded a guy like like Peyton Moutaway. Uh, you got another import player. Is he signed uh, the import that's going to be uh, with the Ford? It's Alessandro Segafredo. It's just a great name to say, Alessandro Segafredo, and he's from Asiago. It's uh, you can make lots of cheesy jokes out of that. Yeah, he signed. Both the imports are signed, and and he put up really good numbers uh, last year in the Swiss league. He was playing in the Elite U17, and he had uh, 25 goals, 27 assists in uh, I think it was 26 games yeah. over there. And I think I think the other guy on the, who led that team in scoring was drafted uh, as well in the import draft. I think he went to the OHL. I can't remember his name. I think he's a Slovak or a Czech player. So they had a, a pretty offensive team, but he had some really good numbers, and he also played. Uh, with a, a U20 team there uh, for about 24 games, and he put up decent numbers there. He had 10 goals with that team. So they're really high on him. They think he can fit into their their top six forward group. If not, he's going to be a really good you know, third-line guy. They, they like him. They like his offense. They think he's going to fit in well with this group that they have coming in this season. Uh, who are some of the young guys that will be trying to uh, uh, make a, a name for themselves this year and maybe stick in the, you know, get find a way to get onto the roster and maybe grow from there, uh, you know, new new faces to the team this coming year? You know, we had so many young guys on the, on the team last year who got into a, a games that were not expected to get into games. But, you know, a guy like Jordan Gustafson, he was uh, one of those two first-round picks they had back in 2019. He played in all 23 games. He had a terrific season. He had four goals, seven assists. You look for a big step. I, I think he's a natural center, but I think just because uh, he's going into a 17-year-old season, they could probably still use him on the wing as they did last year. Mm-hmm. He plays in all situations, so they're really looking for him to take a big step. Gabe uh, Ludwig, another guy from that 2019 draft, he was a second-round pick. He played in all 23 games last year. He's out of Alaska. Uh, he had three goals and three uh, assists in, in the time he played, but you know he was getting better as the season was going on, and then a guy who really came up and kind of surprised everybody because I don't they weren't expecting him to even have to be here. But because of injuries, they brought in Nico Mijatovic, who was from that same draft. But he was like, a, I think it was an eighth round pick. And he came in and he scored three goals. In fact, he scored twice in his first game. But he mm-hmm. looks like a guy who can really fit into the, the bottom six pretty easily. So, you know, most of the roster spots are spoken for from guys who were here last year, but there's a couple of names. I think I mentioned the defenseman Sawyer Minio. I think it's Minio or Minio. But also Braden Dubé. Uh, he was a second-round pick the year Seattle selected Sam Aremba in the first round. And Aremba played in 15 games for Seattle last year and, and picked up uh, a couple of goals. But Dubé had some big numbers. I think he broke uh, scoring records back in Manitoba hmm. that were set by some pretty prominent names who have gone on to pretty good NHL careers. So Here's a guy that Seattle got in the second round of the 2020 draft, and uh, he's a guy who could slot into that bottom six. They're going to have a good rotation in that bottom six, but Braden Dubé is the guy I'm kind of excited to to see because we didn't see him at camp last year because there was no camp. He wasn't called up. They thought about potentially bringing him in for a few games last year, but they didn't need him. So I'm excited to see what he can do uh, coming into camp this year. When you look back at that shortened season that we just had in in the spring of, uh, of 2021, we're expecting a lot of guys who maybe just got a taste of the WHL last year. How beneficial is it for, you know, some of those players who played 15, uh, 16 games to get ready for this coming season in what we hope, knock on wood, is a full normal season? I think it's extremely beneficial because Seattle made the conscious decision when they knew it was just going to be a 24-game 
season that they were going to go young and use it as a development season. Right. They only carried the one 20 year old last year in, in Kelty Jerry Leon. And even coming into this season, right now there's only two 20 year olds on the roster, one a defenseman, one of four. They don't have that many 19 year olds uh, on the roster at the moment either uh, going into this season. So they're still a team that's heavy on their 17 and 18 year old age group. And a lot of those guys played in every game of that 23 game schedule last year. So they, they really think that's going to help them take that big leap this season. Standings didn't really matter in the spring, uh, but Seattle was right in the middle of the pack in the U S division. Tom, what are reasonable expectations for this team this year? Uh, Maybe this year it's so hard to predict because we've been, it's been so long since we had a regular season, but uh, what do you expect going into this year? Yeah, it is kind of hard to, you know, prognosticate coming off of that shortened season. I feel like Roy Kent and I should say, how do I know? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I get it. Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso reference for those who don't know the, the show. Oh, I'm, I think I lost it. Or at least a top four spot in the conference and maybe a top two position in the, in the division. Uh, again, it just depends on how these young guys take that leap from last year's shortened season into what we, as you said, hope is a, a regular, you know, 68 game season this year and how they survive those 68 games, how they adjust as the season goes on. It, it won't be as much travel. That may be good for them as there wasn't much travel either a season ago. So it just depends on all those young guys that they have high expectations on if they live up to those expectations uh, going into this season. And the one thing Seattle does have, and, you know, Bill LaForge came in, he wanted to remake this roster kind of in his image. He, he made some trades when he came in. He brought a lot of draft picks in to his uh, bank account. And Seattle has over the next, you know, three Bantam drafts, five first round picks, six second round picks. So if they feel they are competing come trade deadline, maybe they use those, you know, in January, if that's when the trade deadline is, mm-hmm. maybe they wait until you know the next season to use those, but they have a lot of, uh, of those kind of picks, those high picks in their bank account. If they feel that this team is maybe a player or two away from making that kind of a run. Uh, Tom, what is the, uh, the COVID situation in your area right now? As uh, we know, the WHL uh, put out a, a mandatory vaccination policy. I don't know if that extended to the U S based teams though. Uh, what's the situation for the team this year? And I know the border is still a, a tricky situation as well. Yeah, well, the good thing for Seattle as, a, as an organization is that the Excesso Showworth Center was a vaccination site for six months from last January until, I think, July. It was used as a vaccination site down in, in King County, where Kent is located in the state of Washington. So the entire staff and every player who was here last year was vaccinated before the season ended. So the team and the organization, they're in great shape. Mm-hmm. Now, they have just gone back into a, a policy where if you're in indoors or in large groups, they've gone back to a mask mandate. I don't know yet what that means for the T-Birds going into the season in October. I think they're kind of waiting to see how the numbers continue because like everywhere with this Delta variant, the numbers have risen mm-hmm. here in what has been a very vaccinated area of the country. Uh, King County, I think, is the was the first county in the in the states to hit seventy percent of those eligible to be vaccinated to get vaccinated. Mm. So locally, the numbers are pretty good. Statewide, though, the numbers have kind of dipped a little bit, but that's true everywhere down here. And again, we're just kind of I think waiting to see what that policy is going to be when the, the season begins. 
All right. Well, Tom, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, divisions, uh, the conferences don't cross over, so we won't get to see uh, each other in person. But uh, hopefully uh, the following season we get back to even more uh, normal normalcy in that regard. But uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this and uh, enjoy the season. And uh, I'm sure I'll be calling you again. Yeah, don't wait five years again, Guy. <laughs> or four years. Because <laughs> you, you wouldn't take my call. That's why. <laughs> But we'll make another championship run. We'll make you have to call me. There okay. you go. That's a good way to do it. That's for sure. Okay. See you later. Thanks, Guy. That was Tom Boyning, the uh, voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, and a great preview for this upcoming season. Camps open on uh, September 1st for the T-Birds, and I know they have a bunch of guys coming in this year uh, of interest. I think both of those import players could come in and be impact players. And, uh, boy, I think any team that has one of their import players especially a rookie, come in and be an impactful player, that's a bonus, let alone two of them. Um, expecting good things out of Seattle this year. It was a young team in that shortened season in the spring of uh, 2021, and I think that's really going to pay off for those teams that had some new faces come in just to kind of get acclimated, see what the WHL is all about, and uh, that's going to benefit them a lot coming into this year. So I think Seattle is going to be a, an interesting team to watch. Should be a fun team and a fun season there. Up next on the Pipeline Show, I am scheduled to speak with the voice of the Spokane Chiefs. That is Mike Boyle. Expecting that next here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Behind the goal line, looking in front for Kolasar. Bring it to the slot, to the legs, Barzell. Watson, back hill shot, and he will score! Hi, this is Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds, and you are listening to the Pipeline Show. Sticks and Honky Tonk is back with Canadian superstars Jade Eagleson and Jess Mosker. We got all Don't miss all your boot stopping favorites with a rock and tailgate party and drive in concert October 9th at Western Star Trucks North in Atchison. Hockey Sticks and Honky Tonk presented by GS Construction and Next Gen Transportation. A live concert in support of local charities. Tickets are sold by the carload and start at $30 per person. Get yours at tickets.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Well, the freaking Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. It is the best beef turkey in Alberta, and uh, we're going to continue with the WHL team by team previews. And our next stop on the tour is in Spokane with the Chiefs, and the voice of the Chiefs is Mike Boyle. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I, I'm doing great. Uh, a rare day off uh, during the baseball season. I do uh, games Tuesday through Sunday. So uh, nice to talk on my off day on Monday about uh, something else other than baseball. I, I'm intrigued to know from a broadcast perspective, because the pace of baseball and the pace of, of hockey are so different, how challenging that can be for a broadcaster. Do you notice that? It, it's it's much different. They're, they're two different games. Uh, Baseball allows you a lot more of a storytelling angle and a lot of free time to kind of fill the void of what's going on on the field. Uh, whereas hockey, you're basically an auctioneer. I mean, you know, you're just, you know, calling yeah. the action as fast as it's going. And, you know, it, it, it 
leaves you a little time to really talk about anything else than, than the game. Whereas baseball really allows you to kind of stretch your abilities as far as telling a story and keeping people uh, interested in the ball game uh, when the pace isn't nearly as fast. So I, I find it a challenge, uh, but I enjoy it as well. I, I'm a baseball kid uh, growing up. I mean, I've, I played hockey when I started when I was seven, uh, but my dad had a baseball in my hands from the time I was in the crib. So uh, it's it's nice to to do both. And that's a big reason why I've stayed in Spokane, because it affords me the opportunity to do both sports. All right. Well, with, so we're going to focus on the one, and that would be hockey. And uh, camp's opening this week uh, for WHL clubs, including Spokane. Uh, let's look at how different this year's team will be. And the, the the guys who were overage players last year, they're done in the WHL now. That would be Eli Zumak and a couple of defensemen in Matt Leduc and uh, Bobby Russell. There is also one other big-name player who won't be back this year for the Chiefs. Uh, tell us, Tell us who that is. Well, Adam Beckman, uh, the 19-year-old uh, last year, now going to be a 20. Uh, he's going to be playing in the American Hockey League with the uh, Minnesota Wilds team in Iowa. And it was pretty much known uh, during the uh, abbreviated season last year that it would be Beck's last, which is disappointing. Uh, he was the reigning WHL player of the year going into last season and uh, got an opportunity to to play a lot of minutes, which was great for him. Um, but he's one of my favorite players in my 20 years with the Chiefs. Um, but he's going to be missed. There's no question uh, a kid like that uh, comes down the, the rink, you know, once every 10 years. And uh, he was he was that player. And he'll do great. Uh, and I have no doubt that he'll be in the, in the National Hockey League sooner than later. But uh, that'll be a big loss for Spokane up front, no question. All right, well, let's look at the players who are coming to camp. And we'll start in net. Is there a bona fide, obvious number one starting netminder for the Chiefs, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think that if they were to start the season tomorrow, Campbell Arnold would be the guy. Uh, Campbell, um, you know, hampered by injuries um, going into last year, and I, I thought, despite his numbers, played well for Spokane. Uh, I didn't think he got a lot of support in front of him. Um, but I thought he did well enough to where he's going to be the number one guy going into the season. But the big surprise for me came from Mason Bopit. I, I thought Bopit was in a battle for the number two spot, but he played so well in the shortened season that I think he's going to be challenging Arnold for that number one spot once camp gets underway. And I think that if he continues to play at the level that he showed last April and May, if he continues that into September and October, he could possibly be the number one guy in Spokane because he's he's a perfectly sized guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a six five goaltender. Uh, he's very agile, very athletic. Uh, he's what scouts look for. And you know, talking with scouts during that you know brief season last year, he was the guy that surprised them the most, and really he got on the radar. Uh, Bo Pitt really impressed a lot of guys from the National Hockey League with how he played. And I think if he continues that improvement into the early part of the season, he would probably be the number one guy once we started getting into the season a couple of months. And late birthday, so he's not eligible uh, until uh, the 2022 NHL draft, like, like missed last year's draft by a week. Correct. 
correct. So that's another bright spot, you know, and the scouts notice that too. And they go, they go, wow, you know, this kid's got another year before, you know, we really have to think seriously of picking him. And uh, they're very pleased with his development. And the Chiefs also have a number three guy, Manny Pangley, the 16 year old last year, I thought played very well in the, in the brief time that he got on the ice uh, against opponents. Uh, he's a kid that uh, is going to be the, the guy of the future, I guess, uh, if you're looking at it from that perspective. But there's no question uh, Campbell Arnold uh, and Mason Bopit and Manny Pangley, the Chiefs got a pretty strong threesome in net. And I have no question that they'll feel good about whatever two they settle on going into the season. How do you describe this uh, defensive core for the club without Leduc, without Russell, uh, and uh, maybe some, yeah, I guess they got a, uh, you know, at least one option on the blue line as a returning 20-year-old, but uh, I don't know where, where Jordan Chudley fits in to the big picture, but this group's got some interesting young players coming up uh, that will play full-time duty this year. That was the the big thing I was watching last year in the in the 21 games that the Chiefs played, Guy, is that you know, how were the young guys on the blue line who got a lot of ice time, how did they perform? And I thought that there was some real growth uh, Reagan Wiles really impressed me, a uh, kid from Calgary. I, I thought really did a nice job on the blue line and established him as a, as, a, as a top two guy on the defense for Spokane in this upcoming season. And the big disappointment was uh, Graham Sward getting hurt. Mm. Uh, he was a guy that was being looked at as a, as a potential draft pick, uh, but he missed most of the abbreviated season as he got hurt in the first week in a game at Tri-City. And it really set him back. And as a result, he didn't get drafted. So he's got plenty of incentive going forward into this season because I thought he was very good as a 16-year-old two seasons ago uh, and, and thought he just had nowhere to go but up. And I think that he's going to be you know, the leader of that blue line group for Spokane in this upcoming season. I think he and Wiles will be a good one-two punch on that top pairing. Chase Friedmore, I thought, impressed me an awful lot. Uh, he's got uh, some decent size, uh, can can skate, and moves the puck real well. Uh, then you look at Matt Gross, who big physical kid from Swift Current. I really liked how he developed during the year because he was a big question mark for me anyway going into the season. But I thought that he really established himself as being a top four D-man for Spokane going forward. So that leaves some question marks with your bottom two guys. You know, Jordan Chudley's a 20-year-old, didn't see a lot of time during the abbreviated season. When he did, it was mainly as a 5-6 pairing. How is he going to fit into the picture? Will he fit into the picture as a 20-year-old for Spokane on the blue line? That remains to be seen. Logan Cunningham saw some good time on the blue line, uh, but I thought still showed some signs where he needed some development going forward. And then Sage Weinstein, uh, a kid... That was a first-round pick in 2020. Played a couple of games for Spokane, and I liked what I saw out of him early. And then it, it became obvious that you know his age was being exposed as, as he went into more playing time. But I think he's a kid that is definitely going to be a, a future guy for the Chiefs. And I think if he can make the club as a 5'6 as a D man, that will certainly be benefit to him and to the club. They also uh, drafted a Belarusian, I believe, uh, defenseman. I don't know how much you know of Timofey Kovgorenya, uh, but uh, he's got some size, six three and two hundred ish pounds. Uh, that'd be a could be an impact guy stepping in. 
Well, no question. Uh, he's definitely going to get a long look uh, to see what he can do. And there, there's no doubt that uh, if he can, can skate and move the puck at all with that size that he has, he's definitely going to be seeing some major minutes. But, you know, there's a lot of unknown there. I mean, basically, with COVID, the only chance that you had to watch him was on video. Right. So there hasn't been any kind of live scouting of this kid. And the, and the Chiefs uh, brass aren't going to really get their first live look at him until he comes to camp. So uh, a, a big question mark there. But I think the hope is is that he's able to come in and, and show what he proved on video and uh, apply that into, into game situations. Speaking of imports, as we move to the forwards, a German taken as well, Yannick Prosky, who was playing mm-hmm. against men last year. Not a lot of production, but don't know what the ice time was like either and the, the opportunity when he was on the ice. But getting to practice and play against men, it's probably a pretty good setup to make that transition to the dub. No doubt. I, I think that's a big reason why that the, the Chiefs took him is that they, they had heard enough about his work habits and his abilities that even though he didn't get a lot of time, he was able to really get better at a higher level. And so by the time he you know, gets to the Western Hockey League, he can translate that on the ice. And he'll be a huge plus for Spokane up front. There's no question that the, the forward group is going to be the strength for Spokane. And if they're, they're able to add someone uh, of ability that uh, can play at a higher level over in Europe and, and translate that into success with the Western Hockey League, uh, that's going to be a huge plus for Spokane, no question. You, you mentioned Adam Beckman not back, but you said the forward group is the strength of this team. Uh, outside of the import uh, coming over from Germany, who are the guys that lead the attack for the Chiefs? Well, having Jack Finley back is going to be huge. Uh, Second-round pick uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he was out uh, the abbreviated season last year, uh, hurt his shoulder in a practice uh, prior to the season, and uh, erring on the side of caution. Probably could have come back and played, but Tampa Bay and, and the Chiefs, you know, got together and said, you know what, it's a short season. There's no sense aggravating it and making it worse and having a missed time the following year, uh, which will be extremely valuable for him. Uh, he's going to be the the big gun up front for Spokane, uh, centering the top line. Uh, Luke Toporowski missed most of that abbreviated season playing in the United States Hockey League. Same for Bear Hughes. Uh, he missed all of the season playing in the USHL. Uh, having those two back is going to be huge. Hughes, of course, a uh, draft pick of the Washington Capitals. Uh, th- those three are really going to be the, the top guys up front for Spokane. But uh, you got guys like Cordell Larson uh, from Weyburn, Saskatchewan. He's going to be a, a big plus for Spokane in his 20-year-old season. I thought played well last year, even though the stats didn't bear it out, but certainly did a lot of the little things that you need. Uh, Reed Jacobson got off to a quick start, faded a little bit as the year went along, but uh, certainly we'll learn from that and bounce back. And Blake Swetlikoff, a kid from Regina, uh, I was really impressed with him. And the scouts took notice of him as well. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be probably the second-line centerman for Spokane. And uh, probably with guys like Larson and Jacobson uh, on that second line. Owen McNeil, Probably going to be the third-line centerman. Uh, I thought took some major strides in the abbreviated season last year. Uh, Look for a little more scoring pop out of him into this upcoming season. Uh, He's definitely going to need that. Copeland Fricker was a guy that played top two lines during the abbreviated season, kid from Texas. And, uh, you know, he got a learning 
experience uh, playing that much and against top guys, but uh, certainly shows skating ability and the ability to score. Uh, so he's going to be a, a key contributor for Spokane as well. Uh, and then you got returners like Eric Atchison, Grady Lane, uh, Ben Thornton, uh, number one pick from back in 2019. Uh, they're going to be big guys that are going to be counted on uh, for Spokane going forward. And I, I think that uh, they're going to be pretty deep up front. And I think that uh, head coach Adam Maglio is going to have no problem sending out four quality lines up front during the upcoming season. I'd have to think that that shortened season, just for some of these really young guys who got a little bit of playing time, just to kind of ease their way into the WHL, how beneficial that little shortened season is going to be for those guys coming into this year. Huge. I mean, uh, I thought our club of all the teams in the division benefited the most from it because I think we made the conscientious decision to go the route of letting the younger guys play, right. uh, letting Bear Hughes and Luke Toporowski go play in the USHL, I think benefited the younger guys because they got all the quality minutes, not just at a third and fourth line, but some at first and second line level. So they really got a feel of what it's going to be in the WHL going forward. And you could see the development from game one to game 21 in those guys. It was, it was pretty fun to watch and go, wow, you know what? This kid who, you know, was really struggling in games one, two, and three now is really making a contribution in 18, 19, and 20. So I, I think that uh, there's a the bright future for a lot of those younger guys that I talked about going forward. And there's no question. I think that that's going to help the chiefs uh, in the next season. Now, standings didn't matter at all this past uh, spring. That's not the case now. We're hoping for a full season. We haven't had playoffs for two years, so hopefully we get to a postseason yes. again in the WHL. That said, what are your expectations for the Chiefs coming into this year? might be hard to tell, really, because of you know the last 18 months and what everybody's been going through, but you think this is a playoff team? I, I think they can make the playoffs. I think they'll finish you know in the top four in the division. I, I don't think that that's going to be an issue for this club going forward. Uh, I think that how deep they go in the playoffs, it depends an awful lot on the leadership group and how good of a years they have. Um, you're going to need monster years from Jack Finley and Bear Hughes and Luke Toporowski up front. You're going to need those guys to, to be amongst the league leaders uh, for this team to, to make any headway come postseason-wise. The goaltending play is going to have to be really good. Um, no question that whether it's Campbell Arnold or Mason Bopit, they're going to have to be guys that are in the top, let's say, six, seven in the league and goals against and save percentage for this team to stand a chance going forward. And, the, and then you get to the defense. They really have to come a long way in a hurry. And I could see where this club could get off to a slow start in the first part of the season as the young defensive core kind of gels together and, and, and molds into the type of team that head coach Adam Maglio wants them to be. And then if they do certainly learn the way that they're supposed to uh, making, you know, a big push at the end, but just, if I just looked at things right now and, and what we have coming back compared to say a Portland or an Everett, and I can, I can see Spokane right now looking at probably fourth in the division from a realistic point of view and uh, playoff wise, if they get to the second round, calling it a successful year. All right. And remember it's not divisional playoffs. Now it'll be 
uh, one versus eight in the conference, and and that's assuming right. that's assuming the border situation gets figured out. And maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll end it with that. Is just you know the WHL's introduced the the mandatory vaccination policy for for all the players and staff, and uh, I'm sure yes. that trickles down to uh, us broadcasters as well, anybody around the team. But yes, I, I'm sure that's stateside as well. I don't I don't know if we've got to the point yet. I know some teams up here like the the Flames and the Oilers uh, in the NHL and then down to the WHL, it's extended to the ticket buying ticket buying fan bases as well. That um, if you want to come watch a game. You got to be fully vaccinated. I'm not sure what the situation is there in Spokane, but that border situation is going to be an issue moving forward, uh, unless it gets uh, figured out here pretty quick too. Oh, no question. You know, it's just left me shaking my head, and I, I can remember talking with guys last May about how things have been approached in the states, and uh, it's it's been head shaking for me. It really is uh, the the anti-vax crowd and and the and the people out there that are resisting. These vaccines just uh, I can't even begin to explain how ignorant they are. And it's it's been shown. And now the Delta variant, uh, you know, imagine, you know, a virus mutating. Gee, imagine that. And it has. And so now we're we're getting back to numbers as far as hospitalizations and such that we saw prior to all the vaccinations coming out. Uh, the Spokane Arena hasn't announced a policy as of yet. Um I'm 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 thinking that they're going to be probably not mandating vaccinations for crowds, but making them wear masks. Mm -hmm. That's my personal feeling of what they're going to do. Do I think it's the right decision? No, I, I honestly think that if you're going to be out in public, especially with the way things are, you need to be vaccinated. That, that's plain and simple in my mind. Um, all of us on the Chiefs are vaccinated and uh, ready to go. I got vaccinated last March. I mean, when, as soon as those vaccinations came out, I made it a point of getting them because that's the last thing I want to do is spread them to my family yep. or anyone else. And so I, I think that, you know, the mask mandate fight that's going on down here in the States has been detrimental as far as the border is concerned. Um, I know with baseball, you know, the Vancouver Canadians are in our league. Uh, they were hoping to be home at Nat Bailey Stadium by early August. Well, that didn't happen. You know, we're going to be playing every game against the Canadians on their home field in Hillsborough, Oregon this year. Hmm. Uh, so that's happening next week that we go to, to, Vancouver, to Vancouver's home in Hillsborough. So I'm thinking, okay, if that's in early September, we're supposed to go to Kelowna mid-October for a game. I don't know if we're going to do it. I, I honestly don't know if there's going to be a special exemption that's given to teams that are traveling back and forth. And the fact that everyone in the party has to be vaccinated, how that's going to go at the border, how much time you're going to be allowed in the country, your accommodations at the hotel, at the rink, how that's all going to work. I mean, there's probably got to be a lot of scrambling going on right now as to how that's going to work going forward. And the clock is ticking because here we are at the end of August going into September, we got a month and a half. Yep. So something's got to be in place here pretty soon. Uh, or else I, I fear that, you know, once again, you know, teams from the U S won't be able to play teams from Canada and vice versa. And uh, that would be a real shame. Yeah, it would be a shame uh, for sure. But uh, let's hope we, that it doesn't come to that. I imagine there's a, you know, yep. the, the schedule is out right now, but I imagine there's a schedule uh, 2.0 in the 
in a drawer somewhere yeah. in the league office just in case <laughs> that's the scenario. Hopefully it, it doesn't come to that. But, Mike, I, I really appreciate your time. I hope uh, we are able to enjoy a, a full and normal season or as close to one as possible. It should be a fun one uh, for uh, Chiefs fans. Thanks for taking the time. I certainly look forward to it, Guy. Always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, hope to see you in the near future up there in Edmonton. Yeah, unfortunately, no uh, interdivisional play or uh, conference uh, play this year, but uh, hopefully, you know, in in 2022-23, we can get back together. Absolutely. I look forward to it. It's Mike Boyle, the voice of the Spokane Chiefs. A great rundown and uh, setting the table for what's to come here for the Chiefs. I guess it's fair to say some question marks there in net. I do agree with Mike that the strength of this team will be up front and there is some scoring power still there. And Jack Finley, I hope to see him have a uh, a massive year in the WHL this coming season. uh, Luke Toporowski, for me, always a guy who is just still isn't hitting his potential uh, just yet uh, to this point in his WHL career. So uh, looking forward to seeing guys like that uh, taking it to the next level. Speaking of next, what we have coming up uh, in the next couple of segments still to come in this week's episode, we just heard from Tom Boyning from the Seattle Thunderbirds, and uh, now just uh, Mike Boyle. Tom led the way. Uh, Up next, though, slated to speak with Nick Merrick, the voice of the uh, Portland Winterhawks. He'll be followed by Craig West of the Tri-City Americans. And then to uh, preview the year for the Everett Silvertips, as I'm speaking with you right this second, but unconfirmed, but uh, expecting... That will be general manager Dennis Williams, who will be joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. So lots of great stuff ahead on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Joe Morrow from the Portland Winterhawks. Paul Binner. This is Nick Matan. It's Brad Ross. Brennan Leipzig. Hey, I'm Ben Barkey. This is Troy Kowski, former captain of the Portland Winterhawks, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Hey, we are back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. And um, we're going to continue on getting to uh, set the stage here for the WHL, the return to action here for the league. Uh, and uh, this week we're spending... All of it with the U.S. division. We've already heard from a couple of uh, play-by-play guys. And uh, my next guest that comes to us from the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, Nick Merrick. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Nick. It's been a while. How are things there? Gee, likewise. Thanks for having me back on. Good to connect with you and talk some WHO hockey. Uh, Things in Portland have been great. Gearing up for this uh, next season. Excited just to have a season in front of fans for a change. And it's going to be a wild ride for the next seven, eight months here. 
just out of curiosity, with the Seattle Kraken joining the NHL this year, do you get a bit of a buzz about that where you are, or is it too far removed to, that you don't really hear or feel the excitement there? No, that's a good question. We actually do. Uh, I think we get it a lot as well through youth hockey and, and uh, just some different band and the midget programs kind of going up through the states here in, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so kind of all throughout Washington, Oregon, Idaho, a little bit in the Montana, a little, you know, Northern California, kind of continuing that trend. But of course, they already have plenty of NHL teams to cheer on in, in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think just from, you know, kids starting out in hockey and that kind of learn to skate to the beginners hockey classes is where you're kind of getting a little bit of a boom. Um, I think ultimately from from the Winterhawks fan perspective, it's always tough because Portland and Seattle are such a big rival. So you have some who love it because they think it's going to bring more exposure, which I do as well. Right. Uh, but then, of course, you have some that's that they're going to be setting their ways and say, I love the Kraken are here, all the respect to them, but there's no way I could ever cheer on the Kraken <laughs> just because of uh, the natural rivalry between Portland and Seattle. So it's almost a little bit of a mixed bag. So the next closest team, would that be San Jose? I believe so, yes. All right. Yep. Or, or if you even go more north, uh, I know there's been a couple Canucks fans too, for sure. And it makes sense with some of the ties just from the Winterhawks perspective of Travis moving up there and now Kyle Gustafson going to right. act as an assistant role. So uh, just from the, the hockey operations perspective, it, it's easy for some Winterhawks fans to kind of cheer on Vancouver too. Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk Winterhawks. And uh, as we get set for this year, maybe let's look back at last year's uh, roster. And when I say last year, I mean the what we saw in the spring, the spring hockey league that we had here in the <laughs> WHL. Uh, not returning from uh, from that roster, uh, Mason Manick uh, up front, as well as uh, Nick Sechik. Uh, anybody else that's uh, not coming back, as far as you know? Overagers, you nailed it. Chichek and Manick were gone. They had tremendous careers here in Portland, and, and honestly, were both character guys and tremendous athletes. Chichek earned himself uh, an AHL contract with the Barracuda. Uh, just for, for working his tail off, for lack of a better word, during his overage season. Mason Manning, same exact kind of deal, got a, a sniff in the EHL with his hometown Utah Grizzlies and uh, saw recently he re-signed for another season. So he'll give it a uh, you know a full season go of both those two playing pro hockey and very excited for them. Um, in terms of other movements, the, the nice part for that is the Hawks only had two overagers, so it was a, a very young team. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, kind of a good a good mix, but they I think they incorporated about eight rookies into the roster, at, at least for a certain amount of games last year. Um, Simon Knack's probably going to be the one big departure. Um, he would have came in as a uh, 19-year-old uh, European player, of course, from Switzerland. Uh, just drafted by the Nashville Predators, but ultimately ended up deciding with his agent and uh, with the Predators to continue to keep playing pro hockey in HC Davos up in Switzerland. That's where he started last year during COVID uh, before returning to Portland to play the season with us. And obviously his goal scoring touch was found last year. And, and I know uh, everyone in Portland is going to miss him. Of course, you wish him the best. And mm-hmm. when you're trying to fit together your uh, your projected lineups in our heads, like you and I like to do, Guy, of course, he would have been a top six forward for us. But there's so many players and the forward depth here in Portland is is incredible um, for this season. So it's going to be one of those next man up mentality. Uh, but just a couple of, of key departures there on the uh, uh, you know the forward side of things, and as well as our captain Chichek. All right, well we'll get to the forwards in a second. It is a nice uh, looking group for sure. But let's start in net. And uh, I know Dante Giannuzzi is back, is he not? I'm not sure about the status of Brock Gould though. He is. Dante's back. Uh, Brock Gould has been sent to uh, uh, return to Victoria. So um, no longer with the Winter Hawks. Okay. And in kind of the hubbub of this. Uh, very shortened but unusual offseason. 
Uh, it's always been Dante Zanucci's net. I know in terms of the, the European situation with Broenberg being a 20 year old, Simon Knack was, you know, they kind of knew he was on the fence of whether or not he wanted to return to just to play pro, assuming he got drafted, which he did. Uh, you know, they took a gamble by making a trade and acquiring the rights to Jesper Wallstead. And uh, that was probably one of the biggest storylines for us here in Portland. There, there was some noise for a minute that Jesper Wallstead, who was just drafted in the first round of the NHL draft, uh, may have ended up coming to Portland. But ultimately, after kind of discussing things with the Minnesota Wild, um, you know, they, they determined and, and let us know that it's more important for him to play, you know, kind of with a chip on his shoulder, play professionally, still overseas in Sweden and, and kind of being in that competition role. Um, but it's one of those, hey, you know, you, you don't get a guy you took a gamble on, but Dante Genucci's proven he could put up numbers to be a number one goaltender. Uh, so he'll be, he'll be the guy and they filled that role because our depth at goaltending in terms of the signed players is, is uh, a little weaker. It's just him and Lachlan Gordon. So I think I want to add a third goaltender to the mix to get some competition throughout camp. Uh, so they acquired Mason Dunford from tri city. So right. uh, there's at least three signed goaltenders then coming into the initial part of preseason play. And, uh, but you, you nailed it. It's going to be Dante's net. It's for sure his to lose. He's a tremendous goaltender. Uh, me personally, from uh, you know, just just from seeing it on our media perspective, I have all the confidence in the world in him. Um, I, I think he's he's got a great head on his shoulder. He's gone through the ropes. It, it you know, this would basically be his first full season as the number one. Of course, he was during during the COVID nineteen era, but uh, this is going to be kind of a chance for him to turn some stones and and uh, kind of shake some things up and and make a big a big season for himself personally. So I think everyone's excited for that. And I know that he's been one of the fan favorites, too. So I'm sure the Winterhawks fans are uh, very excited to see Dante again. Nick Merrick is the voice of the Portland Winterhawks, my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we uh, preview this upcoming season uh, for the uh, the Portland Winterhawks, the new-look Portland Winterhawks. Uh, well, maybe I'll touch on the logo uh, uh, before I, I let you go, too. But let's look at the defensive group uh, for uh, for the Winterhawks this year. A lot of returning players, and there was a bunch of, you know, it looks like there's four guys who were rookies last year that were sprinkled yeah. in to get some experience. So kind of a young group, but also with that experience from last year, pretty beneficial. Oh, without a doubt. This is one of those situations where the defense, uh, you know, they're kind of growing up through the ranks together. Everyone's going to, um, you know, going to have, we'll have their ups and downs, if you will, but you get a key returner and Clay Hannes back as as a 20-year-old along with Cade Nolan, both those two, um, you know, vying for one of the overage spots and both two tremendous um, overage defensemen who have had already tremendous careers in the WHL. Then you kind of mix in the, uh, the two European defensemen with Jonas Bronberg and then Merrick Ulster, who the team signed. They were, uh, Merrick was the first round pick in the CHL import draft this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I'm personally excited to see what Merrick brings to the ice because I heard he's kind of a good big body playmaking uh, style defenseman, which of course, you know, Mike Johnson's era just move pucks up and start activating on the rush. So he should fit in pretty well to that um, sort of system. And then all of the rookies you just mentioned, the, those younger guys coming in, there's some big promise in there in the uh, defensive core this year. Uh, of course, you know, you're going to have to go through your, your cash, you know, occasional downs, but um, there's some NHL talent back there on the defense and, and they've kind of really built together a strong unit. Uh, last year, they actually had a couple that came in uh, earlier just to make sure they were situated with the billets because um, the Winterhawks were allowed to billet last year. So they would get some extra on ice sessions and kind of would have a few extra weeks almost to, you know, to work together and, and kind of create some natural pairings. Um, and I think the confidence kind of went, went sky high through that. So you're going to get uh, guys coming to their second year with Ryder Thompson, Luca Cagnoni, uh, Brody Tallman, uh, Josh Morey's probably going to be another defenseman to keep an eye on who's been signed and, and uh, just kind of situationally got more games 
uh, playing in Canada last year. So, uh, you know, ultimately decided to be best for his development to wait an extra year. So it's going to be a tough competition on, on defense. I think I even added up it was about eight or nine D-men. Um, so it'll be good in terms of that competition standpoint, in terms of uh, longevity. It's, it's a nice mix of you have your veteran leaders who have mm-hmm. been around and playing, you know, 150 type WHL games. And then some who already have that shortened experience that's only going to help them come year, year two with an asterisk. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look for that. Should be some good battles uh, through camp there to get uh, ice time and positioning uh, in the in Without the depth doubt. chart. Yeah, that'll be great. All right. Let's go to the forward units. And and obviously there's a lot of talent up front for Portland. This has been a contending team. Uh, if we'd had playoffs, uh, you know, it looked like Portland was right in the mix as one of the top teams in the league and, and had a good chance of, of going pretty deep. I think everybody is expecting Seth Jarvis to be the guy that leads the offense here. How how would you describe his spring? Uh, you know, after playing in the American Hockey League, putting up big numbers there, he came back to the, to Portland, played all 24 games, and was more than a point per game guy. And yet, I'm still getting the sense that maybe even more was expected from him. Yeah, no, Seth, you're exactly right. I mean, Seth was tremendous last year. He played his role. I I think for him, it was such an unusual type of season. Uh, just the standpoint of you know, having to go across the borders, coming back to Carolina, returning to Chicago, then a quick stop at home, coming to port. There was a lot of travel, a lot of moving parts in his, you know, it really just his overall training and his schedule regiment. So he was all over the map. It's kind of, you know, it's got to be tough too, as an 18, 19 year old to be able to pick that up. And that's kind of the first big year of pro maturity where you're a high draft pick in the NHL. This is kind of the schedule it's going to be. Um, you know, I know he came back into it as well last year, felt like he was snubbed from, from uh, Hockey Canada and making their World Juniors roster. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you see him at Bellman Camp and he, he played you know, with a chip on his shoulder and uh, got quite a bit of media attention too and seemed like for the most of camp he was kind of playing a top six role over there on the wing. So uh, I think you know, one of those where his answer was kind of, uh, you know, his questions were heard and his, uh, his name was called. Um, so he's, he's got an experience all over the place. And I, it's a little bit of a transition too, I think, coming from the AHL back to Portland, uh, just in terms of kind of almost a vibe I heard last year from some scouts was that the AHL was almost more of like a, you know, kind of like a rookie tournament because there are a lot of younger guys since they're able to get those in. Yeah. So, um, it, it wasn't your typical, we're going to have a lot of 35 year olds, you know, who, who've been veterans in the league for 10 plus years. They got a lot of new faces in there. So that's where Seth was kind of able to star uh, because Carolina's pipeline so young. They had a lot of youth there, and I think it benefited them. And he played a, you know, he played a big role. And, of course, he comes to Portland. It's the same kind of vibe. You're going to have that top-line role, but people know you more. Uh, you know, they're, going to, they're going to try to match up against your line now in particular since you're no longer kind of hidden on this deep Portland team. And um, so I think it just had more probably video you know, sessions on him, I'm sure, and, and his line with Jaden Darrow and Jack O'Brien. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the table, assuming he's even back this year. I know we're talking about it. I, I would love to uh, be able to experience Seth Jarvis in Portland for one more year, but in the same regard, I, I do know he's going to be going to Carolina Hurricanes training camp uh, and trying to make that team as a 19-year-old. Could it be done? Absolutely. Um, but but in that regard, it's one of those where it's, uh, you know, it's a glass-hole type of situation. It's a win-win scenario because either we're going to see Seth Jarvis flourish in the NHL right away 
Um, or he'll take the Cody Glass approach and he'll right. come back to Portland for one more year until he's fully eligible to play in the American League. Exactly. The comparison I was thinking of is how, how dominant Cody Glass was in his final year in the WHL. And you can all, almost make the argument that it would have been, you know, one, one of those rare guys as a 19 year old who might be too good for the league uh, with the way that he had played. Uh, that final year. Um, all right. Well, if uh, if Jarvis is back, we expect he's one of the top scorers in the WHL. Who else is leading the attack here for Portland this year? It's going to be scary. I mean, there's a couple question marks in terms of Jaden Durrell and Reese Newkirk. Technically, both those skaters will be overagers. Of course, both drafted. Newkirk has signed already with the uh, New York Islanders, so there's a, a decent chance I would imagine he's probably going to be gone and playing at Bridgeport this year. Yep. Um, Jaden Durrell, same kind of situation. I know he's going to be going to uh, camp up and uh, with the the Lightning, so I'm sure he'll make his way over to Syracuse as well, see if he can crack that roster. But if those two are back, or if you get one of those back, now you instantly slot them in with with Seth Jarvis. So your top line's looking very scary in terms of offensive production. Cross Hannis is a player where uh, almost goes under the radar in a weird way, which is funny to say from a second-round NHL pick, uh, but just because he played all last season in Lincoln. So in terms of uh, the Western Hockey League, just to get him more games, uh, you know, he got upwards of 30 games last season. Schedule, he's back in Portland. He'll instantly slot back into that top six role. I think he was point for getting at four points in four games when he was able to come back on his, uh, you know, affiliate player status last year once the USHL season wrapped up. Right. So he'll be a big addition. Jack O'Brien, James Stefan are a couple of O threes as well who have, who have really, uh, I've always enjoyed watching their game play. Dawson Pasternak comes back. Um, he got a short stint with us uh, two seasons ago, but he played in Chicago in the USHL. Um, and then same kind of situation opted just to, to finish the year because it was his draft year and then is now returning to Portland for the season so he's going to be another guy that could fit the top six role you have Robbie from Delorme returning who's been here for three plus years you have our our rookie of the year Kyle Chizowski who is a sensational centerman uh Luke Shelter is a signed player who comes back and then you you bring about three four extra rookies as well um who got you know 24 games of experience maybe not playing all 24 but they were around for all 24 mm-hmm. so honestly there's there's not much it's going to be hard to compete if you're a forward at camp because there's almost every spot's going to be accommodated for where I'm I'm sure if you're Mike Johnson, Don Hay and Brian Peller and you're probably thinking well there's only you know maybe one maybe two forward spots even open for um, you know, for battles in terms of winning those last spots on, uh, from a forward perspective. So it's pretty well situated. It's a really good group moving, moving forward. And if all the stars align, if you will, and everyone, you know, can kind of come back and uh, kind of click right after returning from NHL camps, because there's actually 10, 10 of our 23 projected rostered players are going to be at development camps here during preseason wow. uh, in the Western League. So, uh, you know, who knows what, what kind of uh, uh, mentality and game they bring back as well. Wow, that's impressive, 10 guys off to NHL camps. Now, last uh, in the spring, standings didn't end up mattering uh, as there were no playoffs again. Portland did finish second in the division uh, when it was all said and done. This year, knock on wood, we have a normal or close to a normal season and playoffs. Nick, what are your reasonable expectations for the Winterhawks? I'd have to think picturing this team not making the playoffs is almost impossible, but how far can they go? Is this, <laughs> is this a contending team, not just for the division, but for the conference? I think it's no doubt a conference contending team. Uh, I mean, I kind of in the in the office too. I'll I'll bring rumblings of both rosters of of here in Edmonton are, are kind of shaped a little similar. Yep. Um, would have been extremely similar had a player like Jesper Wallstead come. Because now you have two first round NHL yeah. goaltenders kind of going head to head. But then you know it's natural to think 
uh, you know, could, could oil Kings and winter Hawks bring it back? Like we did just under 10 years ago uh, and making some runs to the finals. So I think this, I, well, I don't even think, I know this is a championship driven Portland team. They were trying to catch Everett last year, but ultimately the Hawks were more focused on getting some of those younger players, some game experience and, and kind of moving through lines. Uh, and of course you look at Everett too. And, and I, I would imagine if you're Portland and you're the USHL, the rest of the U.S. division and the uh, WHL teams are going to want to, you know, move on from Dustin Wolf and hope he sticks in pro ranks as a 20-year-old because uh, he's been a sensational goaltender. Of course, like we've talked about for so many years, winning the uh, goalie of the year back-to-back, and uh, they they didn't skip a beat. Now you have to go to Braden Holt, see what he's going to bring in Everett. But I, I I would imagine right now you have to assume that Portland wants that number one spot in the division. They want to be up there as one of the best in the Western Conference just so they can make a deep playoff run because it has been a while since the Hawks have uh, uh, kind of made a nice run in the playoffs. I think that's the next step, if you will, in, in terms of uh, bringing back the uh, the Winterhawks. Nick, what should fans expect about uh, when they come to the rink? I, and I know in times of COVID, everything's with an asterisk and things can change from one day to the next. But right now, uh, up, you know, up here we've got mask mandates and and uh, double vaccination, you got to be fully vaccinated now to buy tickets to go see the Oilers and the or the Flames, and those rinks include the Oil Kings and the Hitmen, so it's, it trickles down to the WHL level too. What's the situation like in Portland? It's the same exact sort of thing. Uh, we actually just released here about a week ago that um, all fans who are in attendance either have to be uh, dual vaccinated for the, the two-dose vaccine or uh, have a you know two weeks into your first shot of the Johnson and Johnson one, one dose uh, vaccine to get into the arena to watch games. Then you have to wear masks as well inside, unless you're actively eating or drinking. Um, and then off of that, if you aren't vaccinated, you just have to show proof of uh, one of those rapid PCR tests uh, within 72 hours of the event. Um, so procedures are going to be a little bit different in terms of uh, entrance into it because you'll have to show proof of vaccination, um, you know, just with a little photo, photo proof of that or your negative test to get in. Uh, but otherwise, assuming that all happens, then everyone's going to be able to enjoy a full 60-game season, like you said, in the Veterans Memorial Coliseum and, and uh, finally get some live game action for what's feeling like it's going to be about, what, 500 days or so? At least it seems that way. Uh, I guess a little less than that. But it, it's been a while since we've had fans back, and, and Portland's had a little taste of it uh, just with some different appearances. We had the Stanley Cup in town. I think that was actually the first fan-sanctioned event we were able to hold here um, at our arena when uh, when it was brought back, thanks to Josh Dye when when he won it as a scout with the Tampa Bay Lightning this past year, uh, and then obviously we saw the tour continue right on the Spokane with Tyler Johnson. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool stuff uh, just to get some fans back. I think it's going to bring energy. Uh, and in terms of what to expect, I hope everyone just has a good time. We just need to bring back some excitement. We need to enjoy hockey. We need to enjoy these sporting events together. Uh, we've seen it locally as well, where uh, you know people are coming back into games as well we have an mls team the portland timbers uh same kind of rules now going to come for oregon and oregon state football where fans are going to have to both be masked and prove a vaccination so it is a little different but it seems like all the sporting teams are going that way the trailblazers of course as well i'm basically staring at their facility now as we speak um you know so it's it's kind of an oregon uh driven initiative to make sure everyone in terms of the entertainment and sports industry is kind of going the same way to keep fans safe and make sure that we can finish this entire season and all the games uh, at at the Rose Garden now, right? They're not playing in Moda at all? Correct. Yep, for this season, everything's going to be back in the Coliseum. Uh, the Moda Center thing just got a little too, I think, just with, with COVID situation being up in the air. Yeah. Uh, nobody wanted to cross that bridge. And 
and try to have all the interaction of, you know, Blazers employees crossing with Portland Winter Ox employees, passing with, you know, the, the Moda Center and Rose Quarter employees. So uh, just one less thing to kind of worry about in the back of the brains of those in charge. So uh, all games at the Coliseum, but it'll be fun because I know, uh, I know it's, a, it's a tremendous barn to play into, and it'll be cool to uh, just kind of have that be the one home this year for the Hawks. Now, lastly, I wanted to ask with the logo change uh, and uh, what the fan reaction has been like in general. I know there will always be some fans who you do any sort of change. It could just be the colors or the change the jerseys and they'd they'd be rioting. You'll never get me back again and and stuff. But what in general, what uh, has the uh, the logo change meant to fans? Have they been on board? You know what, Guy? I've I've loved the fans response, uh, both from a local and a national perspective. Uh, from, from our local Portland team right now, there's been so much positivity around it. Everyone loves the new logo. Uh, they're excited to kind of see it in action, if you will, because it's always something to see it on, on a computer screen or your, your cell phone or uh, on a website. But it's way different when you see this brand kind of take place. And uh, now, they're, you know, they're technically they'll get the first official chance here at training camp this week to see the logo on a practice jersey. So that'll kind of be a monumental step for us. And, of course, like you said, there's, there's always fans who – aren't going to enjoy change because they're used to that logo. And they have been for the last 45 years here in the Rose city. And then even more because of the variation of it being close to the NHL team. And that, that was the reason why we, want, we wanted to differentiate ourselves and make sure we know that, Hey, we're, we're from Portland and, and we need to have very much our own identity, just like any other organization and, and sporting team would. Um, but of course, that being said, I know some people are frustrated with the change, but it's not like we're erasing history. There's, there's no sense of that at all. It's simply we just want to move forward with our new identity. We have a new ownership group who's excited to to work here in Portland and, and build some tremendous things, you know, down the road, especially the more COVID clears out, the more fun and the more access that we're going to have as a staff. Um, but then, you know, you look at the players who played for the Winterhawks back in the in the 70s, the late 70s, early 80s, who started this Portland Winterhawks franchise. They aren't forgotten. They're extremely a part of our Winterhawks family. I think that's maybe one misconception that some fans have locally that we're kind of just throwing away the past. Uh, but we're just going to have to incorporate that and let them know that that's, you know, that's not going to be the case. And uh, everyone who played here for the Winterhawks over the last 45 years is still, you know, once a Hawk, always a Hawk, if you will. Um, so that's, that's kind of a message that we want to make sure really hits home. And from, I think, just overall national perspective, I feel like uh, I, I saw a bunch of messages just from people across the you know, the hockey world just chiming in and really enjoying the new look. So it'll be very exciting to see that brand come to life, if you will, for the first game on October 1st, officially. Um, well, of course, in preseason, I guess, too, but the regular season on October 1st. And the uh, the next couple of years' uh, plans, a little spoiler, it's going to be neat to see kind of how the jersey evolves because we all know in the hockey industry who are around it, there's uh, there's some changes with some things, and, and you know it takes a little while to get some uh, additions into CCM. So I do know for uh, coming seasons there could be some nice additions to the jersey and kind of uh, take some more unique Winterhawks colors. But that in due time, Guy. <laughs> interesting, interesting, exciting. All right. Uh, last one for me is I hope the logo will it fit? You know, at center ice, will it fit inside the circle, or are you guys going to color outside the lines again like you did for the last number of years? It will. It just fit inside the Thank uh, the circle. The ice is officially in, so it is good and ready to go, and it's a beautiful sight. I'm glad to hear that. It always used to drive me crazy to see the the logo outside uh, the lines of the circle. Now it's just Spokane. We gotta <laughs> we gotta get the Chiefs on board, and then we're all good. I'll pass that message along to him for you. All right. 
Uh, Nick, it was great to catch up once again. Really looking forward to this season. Wouldn't it be something if we could see the Portland and Edmonton back in a final? Hey, I think there's 20 other teams who are telling us to, uh, to cool our jets on that, but uh, maybe. <laughs> hey, uh, anytime I can see you again in person, uh, we will always welcome that, however it happens to be. And I uh, just want to wish all the hockey fans out there tuning in a great season. Enjoy it. Let's have some fun this year. And uh, again, thanks for all the support really across the league and uh, for everything you guys do as well. Well, that was Nick Merrick, the voice of the Portland Winterhawks. And we kind of joked about it a little bit at the end there, but really not joking all that much because Portland has been a contender the last three years. Edmonton's been a contender the last three years. And you go back to 2012, 2013, 2014, who were the WHL champs and who met in the finals all three of those years? Edmonton, Portland, Edmonton, Portland, Edmonton, Portland. Edmonton winning twice, Portland once. And quite honestly, if we'd had playoffs the last two years, it's not crazy to think that that could have happened. Edmonton was the best team in the Eastern Conference, and Portland was right there. Everett was good. Camloops was good. But, you know, there's a good chance Portland would have been the team. So apologies to the other 20 teams in the league and the and the fans. But tell me I'm wrong. Should be another fun season for the Portland Winterhawks and their fans. And uh, it's it's always a fun team to watch. The crowd is always great. You can watch, you know, if you're not in Portland, you can watch the games online. And the, the crowd's always good, especially on the weekends, especially if it's against the U.S. rival. So uh, check that out this coming season. All right, uh, next up, we head to Kennewick, Washington. Uh, the Tri-City Americans getting set for this coming year. And uh, Craig West has been the play-by-play guy there, as long as I can remember. He's scheduled to join me next here on the Pipeline Show, powered by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Michael Rasmussen and the Tri City Americans. Collected by Elkison, thrown away Sandu. Slot Rasmussen, he scores! A natural hat trick! And the first American hat trick in three years. How about that? And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Okay, we are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The Pipeline Show brought to you by our friends at Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. Just stopped by and picked up a, a pound today, as a matter of fact, and I'm going to enjoy that a little bit later on. But uh, right now, we're going to continue on with the team-by-team WHL uh, team previews. And uh, our next stop is in Kennewick, Washington, that's the home of the Tri-City Americans, and the uh, longtime play-by-play voice of those AMs is uh, Craig West. Uh, Craig, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thanks for inviting me, Guy. It's uh, it's great to be back into business. A uh, very short off-season, although we had a very short season of 19 games. Mm-hmm. So it was a unique year, to say the least. Uh, before we start getting in-depth in on things, how, how long have you been behind the mic now for the Americans? Well, I started in 1998, so what's that, 23 years? Wow, I don't know. You don't want me to do math live. Yeah, I'm going, yeah. Then you go back the eight years in Spokane, go back 90 to 98, so I guess 31 years. 
Wow. Getting close to 2,500 games, and uh, yeah, that's that's a long time. Fantastic. It's a long time. That was I can't tell you that was my goal when I set out back in 1990 to, to do that, but uh, <laughs> it certainly is now, and I can see... Uh, I can see the finish line, but I don't want to finish. I enjoy what I do, and you know, I, I understand why Bob Ridley still does it, and it uh, it keeps you sharp. It definitely keeps your mind sharp and your body sharp. And shoot, I uh, my daughter celebrated her 39th birthday the other day, and I said, "Now we're the same age," so we got a good laugh out of that. And I was over in Olympia with her this weekend, and that was the laugh. Well, I said, "If you wish, you can stay at 39, or you can be 40 and be older than your dad next year and explain to everybody." <laughs> That's good. I got to remember that. Let's get into this. Uh, let's get into the roster, and as camps open up here this week, uh, maybe we'll start by looking back and uh, who's not returning from last year's uh, roster from the shortened season. That, of course, would be Nick Bowman and Payson Bjorklund. Both uh, are uh, are gone as they've uh, aged out. Luke Zazula on the back end as well. I imagine there are some others, though, as well. I know there's been some trades and, and things like that. Is it a long list of, of uh, not returning players? Yeah, Edge Lambert's going to stay at home and uh, stay in Alberta. Uh, Booker Daniel, um, I imagine he's going to play probably over on uh, Vancouver Island. He'll get an opportunity. Somebody will give him a chance, I would think, in the BCHL. He's probably our fastest skater, but uh, had three goals last year. But you can see there, there's a lot there, and I would hope somebody in the BC gives him an opportunity to play. But Sasha Mutala signed an AHL contract with Colorado. Mm. So he'll be in Fort Collins this year. And, uh, you know, barring any anything changing, it's always possible. You never know what an NHL team is going to do. And could they send him back? It's possible. Could they send him to the ECHL? I mean, that's that's their call. He becomes, you know, Colorado's uh, Colorado's issue. And uh, we wish him all the best. All right, well, let's look at the uh, the players who are coming to camp, and we'll start in net, and uh, Taylor Boyko, obviously, uh, I think on paper, is the starter, although he's going to have some competition this year, but Boyko just drafted by the New York Rangers. Tomas uh, Suhanek uh, also coming in as an import player from the Czech Republic. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to, to talk to uh, Tomas yet or uh, know much about him, but it looks like there should be some competition in net, at least uh, in camp. Well, there should be, and he, you know, he was on the uh, watch list for sure in the Czech Republic as far as the NHL is concerned. And you know, you've got to have two guys, not just one. You've got to have two guys, I think, and it definitely makes you stronger. And I, I think it's imperative to have uh, two goaltenders that are going to make things happen for you. And in this case, obviously, Talon took the ball and ran with it, uh, got drafted high in the fourth round. You know, you can't teach somebody to be six. Six, seven and a half, you know, uh, there's a lot to work with. And, you know, one of the things I think that will help him with the Rangers especially, and he does color on TV, is Steve Valaket. He was a big guy at 6'6", six, six, and right. I know Valaket likes to spend a little bit of time with the goalies, and I think that uh, they could probably get a pretty good connection when he goes to camp in a couple of weeks. So I think they'll give him a good look. Uh, it'll be a good experience for him. He was a late birthday, and... uh you know, I'm excited for him. I really am. Any other goalies coming to camp? I imagine there's a couple of young guys or something like that. Yeah, there's uh, there's a couple of local. Well, there's uh, one from California that is coming in and uh, on the training camp roster. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the roster, how it, how it breaks out, and sure. So they'll be four in all. Suchanik uh, comes in. Ronan Garrity, that's signed by the Americans, filled in a year and a half ago when we had goalie injuries and 
fans loved him. He was just a little guy at 5'10", five, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and out of Burnaby. And real exciting player. And he made some scintillating saves. Uh, kid from where actually in an area where my aunt and uncle lived and probably uh, 20 minutes from where I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in L.A. from Glendale is uh, Nicholas Arvakian. Uh, is coming in, played for the Anaheim Ducks U16 team. So they're going to give him a good look, and uh, th- there's your four goaltenders that are in our camp. All right. Well, it should be, should be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, on the on the blue line, uh, lots of returning guys, I believe, and some youth there as well. Listen, Mark Lajoie is not even that old, but he's got a couple of years under his belt now in the WHL, former first-round pick. Lucas Dragasevic, uh, has, uh, he's a first-round pick as well, fourth overall. Uh, how much did he play last year, and just how important was that shortened season for him, just to get his his uh, dip his toes in the WHL water? Well, unfortunately, they didn't change the rule. It stayed where you could only play five games, and Lucas could only play five games. Okay. And I know Don Knockbauer, who's moved on to the Calgary Flames, and he'll be an assistant coach in uh, Stockton with the AHL club. And... Uh, he really, really took a liking to Lucas and how skilled he was, and he would talk about it all the time. So um, I guess when they handed out hands, he got him. His dad didn't, <laughs> which I said to his dad, he got he got all the high skill. Uh, you know, Milan and I go way back, and so I say that in jest. But, uh, you know, Lucas is extremely skilled and uh, tremendous. You know, guys that, that took a turn, I think, with Don working with the D last year, Ian Ferguson really showed what he could do out of uh, Dallas. To, uh, not out of Dallas. He did play in Dallas, but uh, really in, in Houston. And uh, Ian was a kid that, you know, makes that first outlet pass, plays smart. Carson Haynes coming in out of Tabor, Alberta, uh, was a third-round pick, and he got some good time. So we we started to see... Uh, the youth, Bryson Andrick was another one that uh, Bob Torrey liked that uh, had played, uh, in fact, with uh, with Lucas Dravacivic, played up in the same program in uh, B.C. And uh, they called him Big Tex. You know, he has the Southern drawl and everything, so they had a lot of fun with him. But he, he can certainly play. Ben Feenan will come in. He's going to get a good look. So there's a lot of choices. But if you look for guys to really take a turn, Mark Lajoie, um would have liked to see him more on the power play last year. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was on the number two power play, and uh, I think you're going to see his offensive numbers shoot up this year. Were you surprised uh, he didn't get drafted? I mean, 6'5 and 220. I know he, he'd, he'd slimmed down from his uh, rookie weight. I think he used to be like 230 or 235, but um, I, I was a little surprised he didn't get taken. Uh, I was more than surprised. Uh, he certainly was... Uh, worth a late flyer, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of it with the short season uh, really affected a lot of players, and I think you'll see guys like him, uh, this is a key year, and then uh, when they have the next draft that you'll watch those guys. Uh, you know, you saw some 19s go this year, too, yeah. so it was an interesting draft year, really an interesting draft year. I think a lot of darts were thrown, but, uh, you know, one would have been nice his way, but uh, he'll be going to camp, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll, somebody will get a good look at him, and you know, who knows, somebody might get a might get himself a free player. Craig West is the uh, voice of the Tri City Americans, my guest here on the show as we look ahead to this coming season. Camps opening up uh, this week. 
Uh, up front, uh, lots of changes. You mentioned Sasha Matala probably gone to the American Hockey League, if not the NHL or the ECHL. Uh, but guys who were older than him, not back. And I know there were a bunch of 2001-born players on last year's roster. H- how many are left? Well, you start looking at guys that are, that are going to return that can certainly uh, figure to come in that uh, were on last year's team. So Landon Roberts returns, uh, Rhett Melnick. Uh, there was a second-round pick three years ago. I think we look for – he's a highly skilled kid. We look for good things from him. Uh, new one coming in that I've heard nothing but great things about him out at Dallas, out of the Dallas Stars U16, Elowan uh, Lemagne. And I think we're going to see he's extremely skilled. And at 6'1", 190, I'm excited to see him in camp and see what he brings because I've heard nothing but good things. Sam Huo comes back. Uh, he led us in the short season with 10 goals, and he has the potential to get at least 30. Tyson Greenway, big kid, started to figure things out uh, last season. Uh, really, really made big strides. So I look look for him to be a guy that could possibly take a turn. Uh, Connor Bouchard, of course, brings leadership. He's not the biggest guy out of Cochrane, Alberta. He's 5'7", 160, but he's a big heart. And another kid that, that'll be returning, Parker Bell, that uh, is six foot four, that that needs to find the offensive side, but he's a big kid, and hopefully he'll be able to make a turn and really really help us out this year. Who's the leader on this team in your in your mind? I know there are lots of new faces and lots of guys who aren't coming back, but do you see a, a clear leader uh, amongst this group? Gee, you always ask good questions, and on <laughs> that, I'm not in the locker room. So I'm, I'm not going to stick in and, All right, fair enough. you know, and in fairness to Stu Barnes, he, you know, Stu is maybe he's met some of the guys because his son played here last year, of course, Jack, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he knows some of the kids, but for him, it's going to be the first time where he's standing in that locker room. And usually those things separate themselves. And what, you know, Kelly Buckberger may have seen as a leader may not be exactly what you know, what uh, Stu is going to see as a leader. So things change when you make that change. And, um, you know, Stu, of course, a guy that always wore an A, he was assistant coach with Dallas for six years with with Dave Tippett. He certainly knows what's going on back behind the bench. And now he's getting a chance to fly his own airplane right now. So um, I'd say it'll give it some time. Let's see how it all sorts out. Well, you mentioned Stu Barnes, and maybe we'll go there. And, boy, you look back at his two years with the Americans as a player, that's, it's just crazy numbers, 141 points in 70 games, 144 points in 63 games the second year. Uh, I don't think we'll see those numbers ever again. What, uh, what do you expect from uh, a, a Stu Barnes coach team? I mean, he was a super offensive player. Uh, is that what we should naturally expect uh, from him as a coach, is that he coaches that way too? I, I'm not sure that anybody coaches really the high octane that way. Uh you know, I'm sure he spent enough time out of Tippett under him to, to to have learned an awful lot of Tippett hockey. And I yeah. think he's going to look at the talent on the team and, and he'll have to judge, hey, is this going to be a freewheeling team? Is this going to be a team that we're going to have to trap? I mean, all those decisions will be kind of made based on what he goes through with training camp here over the next week and a half and then get into games in Everett, the Tri-City Tournament here and, uh, you know, the preseason. And then I'm sure he'll be forming forming a plan and formulate exactly what he needs to do based on the talent that makes the team.
Greg, now the playoffs, uh, there were no playoffs last in this shortened season, and standings didn't matter at all. It was a, basically a growing year for, I think, most teams uh, felt it was that sort of a season, was uh, to get a lot of guys uh, a taste of the WHL. What are reasonable expectations for the Americans coming into this season uh, when we hope, knock on wood, that it's a, a much more normal year and that we will have playoffs again? Well, I've always likened our division, and we've talked about it before, to the American League East. And, uh, you know, you lose a game and, you you know, you lose two games. You know, right. <laughs> you're, you're falling backward. Uh, things are so tight, you know. And the teams on top always seem to win. And then the teams are at the bottom. They just get a little bit farther. So uh, when you're playing 48 of your 68, at least for now, in your own division, and everybody 12 times, there's going to be a lot of animosity playing everybody 12 times, the other four teams. So mm-hmm. uh, it's going to come down to it. And the American League East is a great example. You know, why are the Tampa Bay Rays in first place? They're 18-1 and one against Baltimore. They've been fine against everybody else. But, uh, you know, and then take that, they went against uh, the Seattle Mariners. They were 1-6. So you have to beat the teams that are down. And you got to stay competitive or 500 with the teams that are that are really good 500 or better so that'll be the biggest challenge to take that turn um i think really over the last couple of years this team has been a decent home team it's been the road over the last three years that has uh gone backward um you know it's like anything you take care of business at home you play around 500 in the road and you're in good shape and i think that would be a certainly a realistic goal for the team now, for the sake of fans who want to come watch a game this year, maybe buy season tickets or, or multi-pack tickets or something like that, what do they need to know before they get to the rink? I, I don't know what it's like where you are, but I know here in Edmonton uh, with the Oilers and, and the Flames down in Calgary and them owning the WHL franchises, it's the ticket. If you want to go to a game, you got to be fully vaccinated and, or sure proof of uh, negative test results. What's the situation like right now around Kennewick? The state of Washington doesn't have any of those edicts right now. And, uh, you know, it's a changing situation week to week, day to day. So to look on October 1st and make a projection as to, to what it'll be, it's hard to say whether whether it's going to be mass inside, which I think are a distinct possibility that uh, people will be wearing masks right now in, uh, in the buildings you're supposed to wear mass in the state of Washington you go watch you, you go watch a game uh, they want you to wear a mask okay. if you're outside it's a little bit different story but uh you know i i think like i'm a, i was vaccinated back in february and get a booster coming up later in the month of september and i plan on going to get a booster and and look out for it i've been stayed healthy so knock on wood i want to stay healthy and mm-hmm. you know i believe in the vaccine and uh but there's you know there's a lot of people that don't and was reading a stat today that in our county, in Benton County, we've just now hit the 50% mark. So it's one of those, you know, you can sit with four people in a room, two probably are going to be unvaccinated and two are, and you could probably start a pretty good gang fight <laughs> and get a, get a good swinging match going as to whether you should or whether you shouldn't. It's a great argument. But uh, my choice was, as I decided to, uh, that I, I was going to get the vaccine, and I got it very early. Yeah, well, with junior hockey, it's a lot of young families, and the, those kids 12 and under uh, haven't been able to go get a vaccine. So uh, let's hope more people do so that the, the families with the young kids feel confident that they can bring their kids to the game. 
safely. Uh, let's hope that's the case. And there's some, there's some too, in fairness. Yeah, there's some too, in fairness too, Guy, that, that just can't. For example, my, my daughter-in-law cannot. And that's because she's had thyroid cancer, had that removed and then had cancer three years later resurface in the lymph nodes, and her oncologist has made it extremely clear, you don't take the shot because of your resistance factor. Hmm. And, you know, to fight off diseases, you need those lymph nodes, and she's short 29 of them. So there are situations where people just can't, and uh, my daughter-in-law is one of them. Interesting. All right. Do we know yet uh, about the border uh, between Canada and the U.S., and that could be a problem, especially... It's not going to affect the Eastern Conference this year because there's no travel to the other division or the other conference at all. But uh, if you guys are planning on going up to BC and back again, uh, that could be a bit of a headache. Well, I think the plan is, but at the same time, I think the governors are ready for everything. Um, trying to predict what uh, Joe Biden is going to do is uh, tough from day to day. Uh, we know that the border is closed until September 21st. Whether it's going to open up by October 1st, we don't know that, but uh, we know we can get the players in. Whether we can get them into British Columbia to play the games, no one knows that at that at this point. But right. I'm sure the governors of the league have an alternate plan. And if it has to kick into place in October, I'm sure that they'll do it very well. Craig, as always, I really appreciate your time. It's uh, it's unfortunate that we won't be able to cross paths uh, this season, but hopefully the year after we're really back to normal. Uh, and that we'll be able to see each other at the rink again. But uh, thanks for your time, man. Enjoy the season. I appreciate it very much. And again, I miss the the trip up to Edmonton very, very, very much. And uh always look forward to going over to a trip to Uncle Ed's and uh, get some pierogies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's quite good. So I just gave I just gave him a free plug. Thanks for this, Craig. All right, we'll talk to you later. Craig West from the Tri-City Americans, longtime voice of the uh, Americans. And uh, I didn't know, uh, maybe I knew this before, but I'd forgotten, if I did know, that he had been uh, doing Spokane Chief games uh, once upon a time. So I'm now I'm trying to figure out, after Bob Ridley, who's got seniority amongst the WHL broadcasters? Would it be Craig West? Maybe less uh, Lazarek in Saskatoon? I'll have to la- ask less later on this month as we continue the team-by-team Season previews here on the Pipeline Show. We started this week. We got all the American uh, teams this week. Next week, it'll be the BC Division. Then we'll go to the Central, and we'll finish with the East Division the uh, week prior to the start of the WHL season. There'll be, a, I think there'll be a, a show in between uh, all of the WHL stuff and the start of the, the CHL season where we'll be able to squeeze in some OHL and Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and USHL and college and, and NAHL and CJHL, maybe some U-Sport. Okay, there's a lot we're going to get to, but for now, we're focusing hard on the WHL. And next up, the Everett Silver Tips. Now, I asked Mike Benton to come on the show, and he gave me the Heisman. Instead, we're upgrading. No offense, Mike, but we get the head coach and general manager, Dennis Williams of the Everett Silver Tips. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. <laughs> Win the drop pass, Kendry into the offensive zone, top into the net in front for Matson. What a save by Dustin Wolf! He stretched out with the glove, makes the save and covers. Oh my! 837 to go in the second. Hey, it's Dustin Wolf with the Everett Silver Tips, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is gonna feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! All right, final segment to go here on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, which is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. And uh, we're going to continue on with the U.S. Division preview. And uh, our next stop, our final stop for the week, is in Everett, Washington, the home of the Everett Silvertips. And uh, Mike Benton, the voice of the uh, Silvertips, well, he's too busy to do the show. So uh, we've upgraded, though. We've got the GM and the head coach, Dennis Williams. Uh, first time I've been able to chat with you, sir. Welcome to the program. How are things? Yeah, very good, Guy. Thanks, thanks for getting me on. Well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate Mike uh, letting me uh, get to talk with you, and I, I know it's an awfully busy time of year. Camp uh, is officially underway, correct? Yeah, that's right. Today is obviously the first day, and uh, we're actually not really starting until uh, uh, on the second. So uh, okay. tomorrow, most of the players will be coming in. But it's uh, it's kind of one of those nerve wracking times, you know, through it as we're trying to get uh, players across the border with obviously the pandemic going on and and whatnot. So we sit here with our fingers crossed and hope we don't get any phone calls. Uh, at this point, are are there any uh, hurdles still to be crossed? Are you having trouble getting some of the players to town? No, it's been pretty good so far. You know, uh, we're, we're thankful for that. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of credit to Zorn Ratchik, our, our president, who's, who's done a really good job of making sure all the uh, proper paperwork is for, especially the kids from Canada coming down or, or being able to get, get across here. And they're all taking safe routes. So, so far, so good. And, you know, we've got a few more left here uh, today and tomorrow. And, and hopefully by the end of the end, end of the day tomorrow that we got all, all our guys back. All right. Well, let's uh, look at this coming season by uh, first looking back at the the shortened season and the the roster and who isn't returning from uh, that stretch of games and uh, the 2,000 born players that were on the roster in the spring: Ty Coley, uh, Cole Fonstad, Ethan Renier, and uh, Gianni Fairbrother. Um, now I imagine uh, every year there are other players as well who won't be back, and I, I guess the biggest question mark for me, at least, would be the status of Dustin Wolf. He could be back as a 20 year old. Uh, but I know uh, he might have uh, pro intentions as well. What's the status with Dustin Wolf? Yeah, right now I'd I'd have to probably guess Dustin won't be back. Um, obviously, we'd love to have him back, mm-hmm. uh, but as well, being in junior hockey, it's all about trying to get your players off to the next level. Uh, you know, when, when they're ready to go, and you know, Dustin has been an unbelievable goalie. He's an, just an unbelievable person on on and off the ice, and uh, definitely will be uh, heading down to Stockton with a former. Everett Silvertip, uh, coach and Mitch Love down there. So right. uh, there's a connection there with those guys. So, 
Uh, I don't expect to see Dustin back. You know, he's going to have a great pro uh, pro, pro uh, cur- career, and uh, you know, we obviously wish him all all the best. All right, so uh, let's look at the goaltending position for yourself. Uh, then uh, Braden Holt comes in; he's played for you in the past, and I believe Evan May, if he's still uh, with the with the franchise again. I don't have the updated roster. So, how many goalies do you uh, project coming to camp? So right now, um, we got we got four guys that are going to be coming in uh, that will be uh, battling. Probably five as well. Um, you know, right now we have, uh, as you mentioned, Braden Holt and, and Evan May, both returning goaltenders. Uh, we made a trade in the off season for Cohen Mc, Mc, uh, McInnes oh, from right. Saskatoon. That's, that's right. Yeah, and we also picked up uh, Roman uh, Bazarin. Uh, 20-year-old goalie uh, about four or five weeks ago as well. Uh, so we, we have those four guys that will be competing as, as well as uh, another goalie that we have on our list, uh, Ian Mills, will be in as well as an 04. So uh, we have uh, hopefully some some tough decisions, some good, healthy competition there. And uh, look forward to seeing all those guys, you know, over the next uh, three, four days. Bazarin was in Kelowna, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. He, he was a 20-year-old uh, this year. Uh, we've we've had some room for 20-year-olds, uh, as we only had one one returning in, in uh, Hunter Campbell up front. So at the time we added Roman, we've added a couple since then. But uh, like any any position, we want competition and a healthy competition. In goaltending, we want it amongst our 20-year-olds. We want it amongst our D and forwards. So we, we tried to get that as, as we prepare for camp. Well, I would have to think if uh, if I'm a free agent goalie out there and Everett is calling me uh, and I see that on my call display, um, the <laughs> success you guys have had with goalies, I think I'd be taking that call. So uh, that's going to be an interesting battle uh, at that position. What's what's the secret to goaltending in Everett? Well, I don't know. I think a lot of, obviously, credit goes to the uh, general managers who have been here, you know, in the past with Gary and and, and the ones prior have done an unbelievable job identifying uh, those those athletes, those goaltenders. And then, you know, I think getting in here, they've, um, we've been re- really fortunate, obviously, with having, as you said, Dustin Wolf and Carter Hart prior. Those are just the last two that have been the number one goalies that are some some pretty good goaltenders there for mm-hmm. sure is uh but you know I, I i do think those those players were so motivated you know they're at a whole different level um they they were our leaders you know i know goalies can't wear captains or assistants but when i look back at the opportunities of coaching those two two athletes like it's i probably learned as much or more from them than they did from me you know when, right. when you when you sit there and just see how they approach it and and it's and they they did wonders for our group and our culture because i always point to those two uh, to, to those two goalies both uh, carter and and dustin and i always tell the, the young players like follow those two you know they 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 have a routine they have a schedule they go about their their day you know and there's no there's no secret to why they are going to be six uh six six successful goaltenders it's it's their approach to it Dennis Williams, the GM, head coach of the Everett Silvertips, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, joins me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Uh, now, when it looks uh, when I go to the uh, the defensive core, we mentioned Gianni Fairbrother gone. Uh, you've said that for a while you only had the one twenty rolled up front. Does that mean Zach Ashton is gone too? Yeah, so Zach Ashton has uh, informed us he's going to go. Uh, on to school, okay. which was great. He, he was a great addition last year for us. Uh, did an unbelievable job. Uh, you know, we, we were able to get him uh, off of like a, a waiver wire free, free agent. Uh, he was with Seattle prior and, and um, you know, he informed us this summer and, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate. We really liked Zach. We thought he took great strides. But again, at the end of the day, he's got his, his schooling package, which is un, unbelievable yeah. for the opportunity for these players. And he's going to move, move, move uh, on, move on to school. All right, fantastic for him. Uh, and I know your two imports this year are both up front, so Casper Pudio also not returning this year, correct? 
Yeah, that's right. He's going to stay in Finland. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate. I'm, I know everyone has their uh, uh, COVID-19 kind of stories. You know, you made a trade for a guy like Casper and, and Ethan uh, uh, Renier there a few years ago and not to be able to get Casper for a couple of years. But he informed us he signed pro over in Finland and uh, he's doing great. I just talked to him last week. So it's uh, it's great news for him. All right. So you lose uh, some veteran presence off the uh, the back end, but you've got some young guys and others who have played for you already. I mean, Ronan Celia and Nolan Zellweger, they took huge strides last year, even though it was a shortened season, uh, quite the season for both of those gentlemen. Yeah, they're they're both going to be relied on uh, heavily here to be our leaders back there. Uh, log a lot of ice time. Both of them had the opportunity this year to compete at the uh, Canadian World Junior Camp in Calgary as well, uh, which is a, a credit to them. And uh, as you mentioned last year, they took took huge strides, and and both of them are. are are not only importantly for what they do on the ice, but their leadership. They'll both be involved in our leadership group and have an opportunity to, um, to you know, whether it's a co-captain or assistant captain type type role for us. Who are the young guys coming to camp uh, that uh, look to uh, earn a spot on your defensive core? Yeah, that's and that's one of the areas that's that's kind of wide open for us. So um, we have a, a young defenseman named Dexter Whittle in 04 that's coming in that. Uh, um, you know, is going to fight for for a position, and we have returning uh, still a few other guys there with um, uh, Aiden Sutter and Dylan Anderson's back. We picked up Johnny Lambos in a trade, an mm-hmm. 01 20 year old from uh, Brandon, and then we got Ty Gibson and um, Brady Van Erk uh, back as well. So, you know, we're going to have some choices there uh, throughout it, and, and hopefully during camp that uh, some of the uh, uh, first-year players, the 0405 birth years, uh, push for a spot. And, as again, we want to try to get a few of those guys in here and, and get the process going with them. So, uh, again, there's great opportunity here on, on our back end. And uh, But, it, again, on the flip side, I really like our returning D with having uh, six of those guys back. Yeah, for sure. That experience is going to bode well. Uh, okay, going up front, uh, can't get away from mm-hmm. Fonstead and Renier not being around. That's two of your top three scores yeah. uh, from last year. Holes to fill. I mean, you, you probably go through that every year, and eventually somebody steps up. But uh, you got Gage Consalva still there, and uh, he had a strong year once again, and uh, probably a pretty motivated guy as well. I guess this would be his 20-year-old season, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, he actually won't be back. Oh, he won't be. That's right. Yeah, he's he signed in Tampa. Uh, I, I wish you had some different news. I'd take him back as yeah. well, Gage. He's, <laughs> he's uh, uh, again, like, what a great story on Gage. Like, ne- never drafted in the Western Hockey League. Yeah. He's a listed player. And, you know, again, um, kudos to, to, to Gary Davidson and the staff, you know, being able to identify Gage, you know, and he came in his first year, scored one goal his first year with us and then popped a 30 or something. Like in an 18-month span, he went from one goal to drafted into to the National Hockey League in the second round to invited to the World Junior Camp to signing a pro contract. Like it's it's a great story. And uh but uh him like Dustin Wolf, I don't see them back as both of them are signed and he'll be starting in Syracuse. You know, I'm saying the name and I'm like in the back of my head, there's news there. I I'm forgetting that there's something about him and then of course it, it is that he's signed. So he's not back either. So that's your three leading scores from last year all gone. Yeah. Um, so you, now you got some work to do to find that that yeah. offense. Who's who are you going to rely on to to score for you up front? Yeah, and and, and you uh, referenced earlier our two imports or both forwards, Michael Goot, uh, who we didn't have last year. He stayed over in the Czech Republic, and right. then Nico uh, Hutinen, uh, who we picked uh, this year from Finland. Um, we hope that uh, those guys can step in and fill those roles. But returning players, 
Uh, we're really excited about Jackson Berzowski's back again. And he's been uh, a 20 goal scorer each year, had nine goals, I believe in the shortened season with uh, or close to nine. And I know like Hunter Campbell and Jacob Wright both had nine. And you know what, there was, there was a lot of growth and development, I think. And I think a lot of teams can attest to that last year because, you know, we played a lot of Oh fours as well. So the 2004 birth years, um, uh, we have uh, Austin Roos, Ben uh, uh, Hemmerling, uh, Matthew Ning. Like those are, are guys that got lots of minutes last year for us. So, mm-hmm. like any year, you need you need guys to step up, you know. And and every year I've I've been here, we've it, it seems to go that way, you know. Gee, that your twenty year olds or your top players every year move on, you know. So you're you need the next crop of guys to step in and fill that role. And um and, and I know we we lost a lot with Cole. Uh, Fonstad, who was just, you know, a terrific skilled hockey player, uh, with Gage, with Ethan, as you said. So, you know, we're going to have to score by, by a group up front and, and, you know, have our back end chip in. And, you know, we did pick up, um, uh, Swetlikoff, Blake Swetlikoff out of, um, or Alex Swetlikoff, sorry, out yep. of, um, out of, uh, Kelowna, uh, just, uh, recently. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of promising there for guys. Um, you know, and, and again, I look forward to seeing them, you know, getting out there and, and, uh, having an opportunity to, uh, to showcase themselves. So there's a lot of opportunity, a lot, a lot of ice, a lot of power play time. So it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, a, a good group of guys for sure. One of the other uh, changes uh, for the team, you, you lose another guy, uh, from behind the bench, and that's James Stuckey goes to the NHL with the yeah. Seattle Kraken. Like, I, I know it might sound funny to the audience, but this is a bit, he's been a consistent, face in that organization and uh oh. you know and i i know talking to other uh guys in that uh, in that role uh, for other teams just how popular he was that i mean that's a that's a loss too right i mean that's a change that you have oh, to yeah. deal with too yeah you know what and, and i couldn't be more happier for a guy as you said james has been here from the get-go and uh he's he's from the area and to have the opportunity to go to the crack and it was it's it's an unbelievable opportunity and, and a dream come true he's in the national hockey league right here in seattle in his backyard he doesn't have to move you know he just drives down i-5 and uh but he's put in so much hard work and time and you know he is he is like prior like he he, he was the glue you know he's been around the game he treats players unbelievably uh with respect and dignity and and does an unbelievable job with our staff he 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 takes away so much work from us that we can just focus on coaching, you know? And, uh, so I can't say enough of great things about him. It's, uh, he's definitely going to be missed. Uh, we were able to fill in that role with Ryan Sherwood, who's been here for five years as, as his assistant, mm-hmm. you know, throughout it. And, 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 uh, so we're really confident Ryan's going to be able to fill in that role, but you know, as well. And, but you know, when you lose a guy like James, who's just, he, he is Everett hockey, you know, he's been here, as you said, everybody knows him as Stucks, you know, yep. and, uh, uh, when I got in here five years ago, like, I can't tell you how, how welcoming he was and helped me with the transition and, and, uh, walked me through, like, I, I had no idea where Kent Washington was or where Tri-Cities right. was, you know, and, and he, di- he did it all and he made the transitions, uh, seamless, seem, seamless and efficient for me and just, you know, allowed me to, to do my job and coach. So we're going to miss him greatly, but at the same time, we're a, in a development league, not only for players to me, but for staff and, and everybody. So for him to be able to move on, um, I just, I think it speaks volume about him as a person and we couldn't be happier for him. I'd only met him once, but in 2014, the oil Kings were in Portland in the WHL final. He drove down from Everett to, uh, to come and hang out with us and to show us, you know, he's playing host for us basically. And took us out to some night spots on a night out, uh, on a night off. It's just a great guy. And, uh, 
happy for him to get that NHL opportunity. Now, I, I, you can't retire a number for him. What do you do? Well, I don't know. There's got to be something for sure. <laughs> I, I said, like, there's not two. There's nobody on our staff. I believe it's him and Zorn Ratchik are the longest serving guys. And they've been here since, since the get go. Yeah. So, um, there's definitely something there that, uh, uh, and, and, and obviously it'd be nice to be able to try to tie something in when, when the Seattle Kraken play here, mm-hmm. uh, they have their exhibition game against Edmonton here. That's right. So it'll be, it'll be pretty neat to be able to see, see James back behind the bench, but with a different Jersey in front of him there. So there's, there's definitely, uh, needs to be something in the works and, and a, uh, recognition for all the hard work and commitment and time he's put into this program. Dennis, I've been asking the other guys that have been on this week uh, from the other U S based teams, uh, just up here with the Oilers and the flames and, and trickling down to the uh, WHL level. Um, fans who want to come to games are going to have to be showing uh, proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test and, and types of th- things like that. I'm hearing it. Across the country now, it seems to be popping up at the CHL level. I see just the Halifax Mooseheads announced the same thing here just today. Uh, what's the situation for fans coming to your arena this year? What should they expect? Yeah, like right now in the, in the state of Washington, we're a mask mandate indoors right now as well. So we'll be at, at uh, you know, obviously following uh, protocol of yep. what the state is, is, is asking in terms of the vaccination um uh, cards and so forth if, if if they if they've had it or not i don't think they've announced that yet i i could probably if i was to guess we've we're going to follow suit with everybody and have a see you know whatever um what basically i i believe it. they they haven't confirmed anything yet on that part but i could see with the way things are going just my gut me personally that it will be following leads with with everybody you know from it and uh, and at the end of the day uh to me um you know safeties are number one priority to our to our players to our fans to our our staff and and again uh, as things start to uh, pop up we'll just follow the protocol and 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 keep with it dennis williams is the gm and the head coach of the everett silver temps Uh, and uh now that because this is the first time i've had a chance to chat with you i want to talk a little bit about your path on on how you got to where you were as a as a player former member of the stratford culletons uh, back in the Uh mwjhl i had to look it up because uh, it's not a league I was familiar with. And the first thing that came up was the Manitoba Women's Junior Hockey League, and that didn't make sense to me. So, <laughs> But it's the Midwestern Junior Hockey League in Ontario, which doesn't exist anymore. But the numbers you had in that league are ridiculous. Like, was goaltending optional or something? You had 100, <laughs> 122 points in 48 games your last year. Yeah, it didn't translate to college too well. I'm so I hope you that. I hope you stopped looking. <laughs> That's where I was going to uh, go next, because you had 20 yeah. points. In four years total in, at Bowling yeah. Green, what happened? You know, let, let me tell you, you learn to appreciate your points after <laughs> you go through four years of college. <laughs> I can tell you about each goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably, uh, you know what, it was, it was funny. Like, so the Stratford League, like at the time, my brother actually coaches the team now okay. uh, back in Stratford. And um, back then, like Junior B was 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 the, the, the top league. So, you know, that's where Eddie Olchek played and Rob Blake and Nelson Emerson and uh, a lot of a lot of Americans were coming up to play for the Stratford Coltons at the time. So right. uh, I, I was a local player, so I was really fortunate. I grew up, played all my my youth hockey there, and got to got to play for Stratford. And you used to get your uh, your blazer with your with your logo on it. That was the big big thing growing up to get your uh, Stratford Colton blazer to wear to the games. And uh, they did an unbelievable job. Dennis and 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 uh, Denny and Joan Flanagan, and they ran that organization for years. And and you know what I think? Probably looking back in hindsight, 
I, I, you probably fast track too quick. You know, you played junior at 15, 16, 17, and you went into college as a true freshman. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't there, you know, and it was like, you go back as a 19 year old, we've already played three years. So I went in and I was so weak. Like I was the, I was the weak. I thought I was strong until I got there and, and, uh, you know, you had a little piece of uh, humble pie and realize, you know, you're, you're not the 50 goal scorer. I remember having talks with the coaches, like, you know, I'm, I'm here to run your power play. And they're like, no, you're here to penalty kill. I'm like, what? I'm like, why'd you bring me in here? Like, I don't block pucks, you know, just joking, you know, like, but like, that's kind of how it was. So I had to learn and adjust. And it was a lot of, of trying times, like where, you know, you question yourself because, like you said there, you go through your freshman year and you have a, like a goal, three goals and assists. <laughs> like it's, you know, and, uh, but I, I look back on it. It was the best four years. I, I learned so much about myself. I appreciated so much more uh, because more so there, I had to work for everything. You know, in junior hockey, it was kind of given probably a little bit more back then because you scored goals. And, right. But there you, you were kind of put, put into place as an 18 year old and you had 24 year old guys on your team. Like you were just, I was just a boy, you know, and I was playing against 23, 24 year old men. And so it was, it was definitely a uh, transition, but I wouldn't give it up for anything. I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed it. Bowling Green, our coaches were un- unreal. Probably at the time I didn't like them because I needed somebody to blame, but really at the end of the day, <laughs> it, it, it fall, falls on me. I can't imagine 122 points and then the, not having any offer, almost virtually no offense by comparison and how the mental hurdle or the mental adjustment you must have had to have made uh, along the way. Like it must've been, how come I can't produce what's happening for a while? You know, there's a lot of times like I wanted to, I was drafted by the Sioux Greyhounds. Right. And I was just like, I got to go. Like I want to take the easy route, Yeah. you know? And, and I think about it now, like, and you know, if it wasn't for my parents, like my dad's like, you're not going anywhere, you know, you're going to figure that, you know, but at the time you're 18 and, and everything's coming down sure. on you, you know, like, you know, probably at that time, I probably failed the test, you know, my first F or something in biology or something <laughs> and, and you're not playing and, you know, and, and, and as I always say, there was probably a lot of, a lot of issues at the time I thought were coming to, to an end, you know, like the whole world was ending. But really when I look back on it, that's probably one of the things I can, when I relate to players here is that I've had the opportunity as a player to to be the guy yeah, and then to also understand what it's like to be healthy scratched, you know, what it's like to be a fourth line and not even get a shift, you know, and, and there's nothing worse coming off after, you know, the next day. And back then they used to put an e- evaluation up mm-hmm. of everyone's performance, like one through five wow. and like and NS, no, no shifts. That's what I would get sometimes. Wow. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, that's always nice to look at, <laughs> you know, but but that was, you know, and to us that, and, and that was fine. That, that, that type of stuff motivated me. And then by the time I became a junior senior, you know, I was a, I was a penalty killer, full-time third line guy and found my niche on, on the team, but it took me a little bit to change my identity more from a mental standpoint. Cause I kept thinking I was a goal scorer and I, and I knew then if I didn't change, I wasn't going to play at all. Right. So I had to learn how to get pucks out, protect pucks, block pucks, penalty kill. So I started to invest my time into areas that I could get better at and get more ice time out of. Wow. Well, when your college uh, playing career was done, you played one more year. Uh, I don't know. What's OHA, OHA <laughs> senior? senior right? Is a, that like beer league? Senior hockey as a 21-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and then yeah. you get right into coaching. I mean, was that? Uh, yeah. did you know all, automatically that was something you wanted to do right away? 
you know, I got, I went back to Bowling Green and, uh, they were kind enough to, uh, get me into my, uh, for me to finish my master's, to mm-hmm. start my master's and finish it there. So I did my graduate work at Bowling Green and, uh, I, I, I got into coaching there and the only reason I kind of got into it, cause I always thought the coaches just rode the bike and worked out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that looks like a pretty cool job. I can, I could do that and put on my gray sweats and, you know, and, and then, uh, so I did that for a year as a grad assistant and then, and then was able to go to Utica college and work with a guy named Gary Heenan. And, and, uh, it was unbelievable experience. And I, I didn't know what division three hockey was. I right. didn't know what Utica college was like anything. So I, I went over there and, and to this day, he's, he's, he's one of my best friends. He's the God, godparent to my uh, youngest daughter. And I was there just one year and I went to Newman college and became a head coach at like 22. I had wow. know, half the, half the team was older than me. I was just going to say, you know? yeah. <laughs> So it was, uh, and then from there, like I was there for a few, three, three years, I think, or four years yeah, and, three. and, uh, went, went to Alabama Huntsville for a year, which isn't a real hockey hotbed. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with a great guy named Danton Cole, who's the head coach at Michigan state right, right. now, yeah. uh, was w- with the development team and, and, uh, learned an unbelievable amount from him. And then from there, it was like, I went back to my, to Bowling Green for a year as an assistant and then an interim head coach didn't get the job, didn't know what to do and ended up in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> went to this North, to the North American league. And I had no clue what that was. I was thinking <laughs> in my head, I'm going, I'm from Canada. I got a coach in Texas to get a job right now. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I did that. And, and, and lo and behold, I, I started that program, went to Bloomington, started that program. And that's when I got to meet, um, Bill Yule, our owner, because he owned the Amarillo team. And then he started the Bloomington team. Right. And then Gary Davidson brought me into Everett. So my connection to Gary was through our time in my time in Bloomington in the USHL. And so I've, I've been to almost each level. You have coaches and assistant or head coach at almost everywhere out there. I've, you know, um, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't give up those experiences. Um, each of them had unbelievable, uh, opportunities that learned so much, met so many great players. I, you know, they're all getting married now. You know, you see, you talk to them. And, uh, so I, I, I don't regret ever my time in Amarillo. I thought it really helped define me as a coach. And again, uh, you talk about going from junior hockey to college. It was a humbling experience being a division one interim head coach to going to a North American league right, head coach. Like right. that's a humbling experience too. You know, like you go down a few rungs, but I was okay with that. You know, I, I just wanted a coach and that's, that's what I did. Well, fantastic. And you've had so many different levels. I mean, Div 3, Div 1, the, the NAL, the USHL, the WHL, and now you're, you, you've got <laughs> Hockey Canada on your resume too. I mean, that's got to be a thrill to be on the bench for the national program. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. One of the, I remember talking to Gary Davidson about coming here is like, do you think I could get a chance to get with Hockey Canada? Cause I had a little bit back in the day, I played on the under 17 team when they used to do by province. Okay. So I played on the Ontario one and, and, um, you know, as a player and, and I really wanted to get involved with it. So I, I've been really, really fortunate. And, you know, I can't wait to get to uh, Edmonton this year and get to work with, you know, Dave Cameron, Mike Dick and uh, Louis uh, Robitaille and, and the crew and, and, and the players. So it's, um, it's been an unbelievable opportunity. And, and I'm very grateful for that. As you know, we all grow up watching the world juniors, mm-hmm. you know, as kids and families, you couldn't wait to boxing day. And, you know, you had to time it to get out for your Boxing Day shopping and watching the World Junior game. That was the number one priority. So um, it, it's really going to be a, a great experience, and uh, I'm glad we're able to do it. And hopefully the rinks stay open because I know, you know, my family looks forward to getting up there and, you know, my mom and dad as well. Yeah. 
Well, Dennis, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Unfortunately, Everett and uh, and Edmonton won't get together this year, but uh, you will be coming up for the World Junior Championship. So hopefully I'll have a chance to say hello in person. Yeah, I look forward to that, Guy. All right, well, have a great season, and uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again down the road. Likewise, thanks. That was Dennis Williams, the GM and head coach of the Everett Silver Tips, and uh, I really, really, that was a fun conversation. I, uh, it's the first time I've had a chance to uh, to meet with him, even though it was on the phone, uh, but that was great. Love the story of going from 122 points his final year in uh, Junior B to Bowling Green, where he had six points, and he only played 17 games that year. Only had 20 points his entire NCAA playing career, after having 122 points the year prior. That's got to be such a challenge mentally to to go through that. And as he said, it's helped him become a better coach because he now, maybe you get a kid out of Bantam that you draft, scored 50 points in or, you know, 100 points or something in 40 games, and then he comes to your club in the WHL and maybe he's a, you know, spends a year as a fourth liner and not an everyday player. And now he's gone through that as a player that helps him coach a player in a similar situation. Great stories, and uh, really, really appreciate his time. Thanks to Mike Benton uh, for uh, lining me up with the GM and head coach there, Dennis Williams. That does it for this week's episode, and that means it's cleanup time. If you haven't got a bidet yet, get in touch with a Tushy. That's hellotushy.com slash pipeline. You'll be happy that you did. I know it's not something that you think about all the time, but once you've tried a bidet, you're not going to go back. You're going to want one. Uh, for your house, make great gifts as well. They're not expensive, and it's so much better for you and for the environment. Stop wiping, start washing your butt. Get with the times. All the cool kids have bidets. Give in to peer pressure. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. The U.S. division is done. Next week on the show, we will be chatting with uh, the representatives from the five British Columbia-based teams in the B.C. division of the Western Hockey League. It was set up for what's coming this season for those five clubs And then the week after, it'll be the Central Division, and we'll wrap things up with the East Division the week after that. And then, of course, we'll uh, we'll see what's happening in the OHL and the Q and the USHL and U Sports and and the NAHL, the CJHL. Definitely uh, got lots of leagues that we're going to want to keep our tabs on. I ran a poll last week that asked uh, people, you know, which league do you want me to talk about a little bit more than I have? And U Sports was the, the leading vote getter, so... I definitely want to talk some U sports because to me it's an underrated, undercovered uh, level of hockey here in Canada, and we're seeing it being scouted more and more as well by NHL teams. Quick reminder that if you get your copy of the Pipeline Show from uh, iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get it from, Spotify, the Podbean, if you have the opportunity to leave a ranking or a rating, you know you want to give it four stars or five stars, that'd be great. Uh, but if you want to uh, leave a brief description, uh, say what you like about the show or something, some sort of description that will tell uh, new listeners what the program is like, what it's all about, uh, I'd really appreciate that. That would be fantastic and uh, help grow the audience in that regard. That would be great. All individual segments of the program that you hear on a full episode, they're available to patrons at patreon.com slash the pipeline show days before the full episode is released to the general public. And that costs $2 a month. If you uh, appreciate the show, you think there's value in what I do, and you'd like to support the show to make sure it keeps going, I'd really appreciate that. And uh, certainly appreciate the help of everybody who has been signing up uh, recently to be a patron. There's always a big 
jump right around the draft and then another jump near the start of hockey season, which is great. Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show is where you can go for that. All right, with that, I bid you adieu. We will see you next week. I hope you get out and enjoy the weekend. Until next week, everybody, my name is Key Flaming. This has been The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. See ya.